Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is episode 92, Vipers in Search of a New Home. This episode is brought to you by our friends at True Victory. If you are not perfect, if you have ever struggled, if you have ever failed, if you have ever been the underdog, if you have ever doubted yourself or been doubted by others, if you want to get better, be better, and make our world better, this is the perfect brand for you. Founded by U.S. military veterans, True Victory is a sportswear and streetwear brand dedicated to building everyday champions on and off the field. True Victory is not simply a company, they're a cause. Its purpose is to transform lives and elevate humanity through the power and unity of sports, positive stories, and serving others. They are dedicated to the game, the grind, and the globe. But most importantly, they are dedicated to you. If you want to strive for something better, while proudly showing others your determination, grit, and supporting people like yourself, check out the True Victory Shop by simply clicking on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code PLAYER54 at checkout to receive 15% off your purchase. I hope each of you had an enjoyable and safe Labor Day weekend. After a couple of quiet weeks, this week we have several developments. We also have two guests, XFL News Hub writer, as well as Analyze and Educate host Patrick Rafino joins the show to discuss the XFL quarterbacks that have signed National Football League contracts and what it potentially means for the XFL and its 2024 season. In addition, show contributor Mark Halbach returns to review the XFL 2023 players who have found a home on National Football League rosters, as well as the XFL's release of IXFL, Three Days at the XFL Combine documentary, and more. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On August 28th, National Football League teams reduced their rosters to the league-mandated 53-player rosters. An overwhelming majority of the 66 XFL 2023 players did not make the cut. For the time being, the following made their 2023 NFL teams roster. D.C. Defenders punter Daniel Whelan with the Green Bay Packers. Seattle Sea Dragons defensive tackle Austin Falou with the Seattle Seahawks, although he's been placed on the reserve pup list. Orlando Guardians wide receiver Charleston Rambo with the Philadelphia Eagles has been placed on the injured reserve list. And Vegas Vipers tight end Brandon Dillon with the Washington Commanders also placed on the injured reserve list. On August 28th, the XFL announced supplemental showcases. The first is scheduled for October 7th at Celebration High School in Orlando, Florida. The second is scheduled for October 21st at Marathana Christian School in San Diego, California. Players who participate in either supplemental showcase will be evaluated for inclusion in the XFL supplemental draft in January. On August 29th, CBS sports writer Dennis Dodd made the following post on his X account, formerly known as Twitter, hearing more buzz about the XFL's Vegas Vipers relocating. To be fair, back on June 11th, Spring Football Boulevard's Maddie Fresh had XFL insider Mike Mitchell as a guest. During their conversation of Rod Woodson's departure from the Vegas Vipers as head coach, at almost the four-minute mark, Mitchell also shared the Vipers were likely out of Las Vegas. 
On August 30th, National Football League teams began signing players to their practice squads. Although it is a fluid situation and will continue to be so throughout the National Football League season, the following XFL 2023 players were signed to NFL practice squads. D.C. Defenders wide receiver Lucky Jackson with the Minnesota Vikings. Houston Roughnecks wide receiver John Tree Kirkland with the New Orleans Saints. Wide receiver Michael Bandy with the Denver Broncos. Defensive lineman Jack Heflin with the New Orleans Saints. Defensive lineman C.J. Brewer with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Orlando Guardians tight end Jordan Thomas with the Carolina Panthers. San Antonio Brahma's defense lineman Matt Godel with the Seattle Seahawks. Kicker Parker Romo with the Chicago Bears. Cornerback Luke Barco with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Seattle Sea Dragons quarterback Ben DiNucci with the Denver Broncos. Offensive lineman Barry Wesley with the Atlanta Falcons. Defense lineman Nico Lalos with the New Orleans Saints. St. Louis Battlehawks wide receiver Marcel Atman with the Buffalo Bills. Running back Brian Hill with the San Francisco 49ers. Offensive lineman Jared Jones-Smith with the Washington Commanders. Defensive lineman LaSalle London with the Atlanta Falcons. And lastly, the Vegas Vipers wide receiver Matthew Sexton with the Atlanta Falcons. On August 31st, Pro Football Newsroom journalist James Larson posted the following to his ex, formerly known as Twitter account. Breaking, the Vegas Vipers have confirmed that they will not be returning to Cashman Field for the 2024 XFL season. As first reported by Mike Mitchell, relocation to another city is certainly on the table. Sources suggest that we could see an announcement sooner than later. Larson's post included a screenshot of an email sent to a likely Vegas Vipers season ticket holder and stated the following. Following feedback from you, our fans, players, and local partners, the XFL has determined that the team will not return to play at Cashman Field for the 2024 season. We appreciate your support and patience as the league reviews all our options. We will provide information on a new home for the Vipers as soon as possible. If you have any questions about your season tickets or season ticket deposit, please contact me at email at jasonganella at xfl.com. Thank you for your support. Regards, Jason Ganella, Senior Vice President of Ticket Sales. Without diving into the issues and delays in securing a venue for the XFL 2023 season, the Vipers' future in Las Vegas does not look good, and seeing major and alternative football media members are reporting the Vipers are considering relocation appears to shed light on a likely new city for the Vipers in 2024. On August 31st, XFL insider Mike Mitchell posted to his ex, formerly known as Twitter, account the following. Notice sent by XFL to employees today. A follow-up to my report in May and the recent developments surrounding the Vipers no longer playing at Cashman Field. Mitchell's post included a screenshot of an email that stated the following. Team, today we informed Cashman Field that we will not return to the building for the 2024 season. Following feedback from our fans, players, and local partners, we have determined that it is in the league's best interest to find a new home for the Vipers. At this time, we are looking at all of our options for the 2024 season and will provide as much information as possible in a timely manner. We appreciate your patience. The screenshot was cropped to remove the sending party. This also confirms the Vipers will no longer play at Cashman Field. It is also further evidence that the XFL are indeed considering all options and will be playing in a new venue in 2024. On September 1st, Pro Football Newsroom journalist James Larson posted the following to his ex, formerly known as Twitter account. Developing. 
The Houston Roughnecks are likely set to move to Rice Stadium for the 2024 XFL season per source. Also on September 1st, Pro Football Newsroom journalist James Larson posted the following to his ex, formerly known as Twitter account. Breaking. There is another city in play for a potential Vegas Vipers relocation. In addition to Nashville and Tempe, via Mike Mitchell, the XFL is currently exploring Portland as a suitor, per source. As of right now, San Diego is not in legitimate consideration. Also on September 1st, the XFL released its IXFL Three Days at the XFL Combine documentary. In the documentary, Houston Roughnecks Director of Player Personnel Mark Lillibridge mentioned the XFL will be conducting a draft on Wednesday, October 4th. Although the league has not formally announced a draft in October, it would appear to be safe to believe that this is true. After all, this documentary was produced by the XFL, as well as disseminated and promoted on its own social media accounts and website. As I have previously mentioned, I will now be joined by XFL News Hub writer, as well as analyze and educate host Patrick Rafino to discuss the XFL quarterbacks who have signed National Football League contracts and what it potentially means for the XFL and its 2024 season. Welcome, Pat. I appreciate taking the time to come on to the show to discuss the XFL quarterbacks that have signed National Football League contracts and what it potentially means for the XFL in its 2024 season. Appreciate you having having me come on. And um, as we keep diving into cut day while this is being recorded, right now it kind of doesn't mean anything for the XFL because I think we're 0 for 3 right now. So, All right, I, we'll, di- we'll dive into that. But first, why don't we go <laughs> ahead and, you know, I know all of the different media members covering the alternative football leagues, but Maybe not everyone is as in tuned as we are in knowing everybody. So why don't you take a moment and just share a little bit of your background so they have a better understanding of who you are and why I brought you on to discuss this topic. I started trying to get into alt football, you know, 2017 with the spring league. I was trying to get involved with that and I didn't know how, um, whether it be a media or coaching thing, but my love for this game comes from the early origins of the XFL, specifically the New York Hitmen, because I'm from New York originally. And then, you know, I didn't really know what was going on with the XFL XFL 1.0. Like I didn't, I didn't, I just remember the rock and Steve McMahon and rock Dangerfield and the cheerleaders were really pretty. You know, it was probably I think like eight or seven or eight at the time, and I was just like, "This is this is weird. Like, why is the NFL on right now? Like, this is silly." But um, as I got older, the UFL came to fruition, and I got really into that. They had the New York Sentinels, and you know, Mike, you could see it, but I got my Sentinels helmet right there. You know, because I think Simeon Rice was on that team, and uh, I remember like, okay, this is kind of cool. And ironically, I interviewed a man yesterday. It just went live today, but um, his name is Andy Ball. His father is Randy Ball, who was the DPP of the Las Vegas Locos, two-time UFL champion. So it was just funny how that league pops up still in my life. But, you know, it goes away. And then, um, you know, I, I heard about this spring league. I was living in Texas. I was working the job I do now, and uh, I was a little bit uh, – a little bit confused on what was going on with that. I was like, man, you know, I should try to get into it, whether it be like a ball boy or something like that, you know, just, you know, I wanted to get into football. 
So I started covering the spring league and that's when I like figured out who like McLeod Bethel Thompson was and Johnny Manziel played in it. But I didn't really think much of it, you know, because it was a showcase. Like I remember watching David Ash play in a game because they played at like Lake Travis Stadium or something like that in at that high school for Austin, Texas. So like, like still kind of feeling it out. And then I was in Afghanistan as a contractor and the time difference would allow me to watch the AAF games all the time. So I would watch the AAF games. They were streamed on YouTube or, you know, I would watch them on YouTube. So I'm watching all this and you you start hearing guys like, you know, John Mulford and, you know, Brandon Silvers and even Trevor Knight, who you watched in like, uh, he had that great bowl game, you know, him and Blake Bell and, those names. So you start falling in love with this. And then there's a couple like, you know, a little bit more famous names. Like you had Hackenberg in there. It's like, okay, what's Christian Hackenberg going to do now? And like Johnny Manziel, that machine was there. And I started uh, reaching out to people on like Twitter and Instagram and stuff and just saying like, Hey man, like what can I do to be a part of this type thing? And, you know, I met some people on the internet who were like, Hey man, do like a scouting report or film review and send it to me. And I, I did some of that, which I thought was pretty cool. And, you know, we were doing things like that. And then XFL 2020 comes, the AAF falls, you know, I start rehashing the love for this alt game. And you're, you know, you get spike names again, like Landry Jones. And like, you know, I was a Connor Cook guy, you know, when he was with the Roughnecks, so in name only, but you know, you had Connor Cook and Matt McGloin, and it was like, okay, these are some names. You know, Josh Johnson's always an awesome guy to have in these leagues. And, uh, you know, it just keeps that dopamine spike up, you know. And then, you know, you find out, we forget that Jordan Tayamu was so unknown. I remember watching him with the Texans in preseason. I was like, yo, this guy's okay. You know, from there, I kept reaching out to people, got some opportunities to do some, you know, low-level scouting, low-level writing. And then, uh, Eventually got on with a news hub, which led me to do my own independent scouting and for people and, you know, essentially led me to a coaching job that I have now and a lot of other opportunities that are possibly down the pipeline. I mean, I don't know how many people have come across your articles because, you know, there are news hub and XFL board and newsroom, all, all these different things. But yeah, you've been doing it for a while, even though it may not seem like forever, but I mean, in the world of alternative football, it does seem like forever because we don't have a lot of seasons of piggyback, but it seems like it's been quite a while. But I mean, you've made plenty of appearances on various shows, whether it be like the Mark cast and whatnot. So, I mean, like it doesn't ring the bell. You've probably either read his piece or you've probably seen him on somebody's show before. So you are well-versed and I always love some of your, your player takes like when you dive into whether it's quarterbacks and some of the stuff. So when I kind of got thinking about this, you know, the significance of the quarterback position. Not that there's not 10 other guys on the field and then another <laughs> side of the ball or the third aspect of special teams, because there obviously is. But uh, obviously in football, it's the most focal, important position is quarterback. And the quality of the quarterback makes or breaks teams and leagues, for that matter. You know, when we have alternative leagues, it's the one thing everyone keeps going, oh, the quarterbacks are crap. You know, there's not enough talent in quarterbacks because NFL teams struggle to have quarterbacks. All of these I don't know, bullet points or shots that people want to take. So I kind of got to thinking there are always top tier quarterbacks. So that we see at the collegiate game and whatnot. And yes, 
some of the top tier quarterbacks of the XFL did sign National Football League contracts here. And okay, we don't know if we're 0 for 3, like you said, but there's one aspect of making the National Football League teams active uh, 53 player roster, or we'll start seeing the practice squad signings, right? So this little grayness will take some time to kind of play out because you may get cut off this team, but now you're available. Somebody else might look at you as a third string quarterback, right? So we're in this kind of limbo phase, but by being in a limbo phase for the national football league kind of puts a league like the XFL in an area of uncertainty, right? They still have to prepare for season two, something the XFL has never had. They're going to have a second season. So they got to prepare this being difficult. And I get it. We're at a real odd time because we are literally recording on cut day, you know, for the National Football League. I get it. Timing maybe is not ideal, but I think we're kind of in that situation or that that period of time that it's worth discussing how difficult it is to scout for this position and to unearth those diamonds in the rough, you know, unturn every stone, so to speak. So the timing of this, and I'll kind of rant here, so I'll wrap it up so I can get you back talking because you're the guest, and that's who I want to be talking. We're in this phase now where it's not just the XFL, the USFL. Obviously, the Canadian Football League has been around for what, 100 plus years, so they're stable in whatever sense of the word they've been back time and time again. So it's not like, okay, they just get the scraps. There's competition every which way you turn around here. So we know what is it. The Broncos did sign Ben DiNucci. And we did have the Cincinnati Bengals did sign Reed Sinet. And we did have the Minnesota Vikings had signed Jordan Tayamo. But you have mentioned, so the cat's on the back, that we're 0 for 3. So, but we're still in that limbo area. Of these three, do you see these guys signing practice squad contracts? <laughs> I mean, or do you, do you think there's a possibility they could now, hey, they got to go through waivers because technically that's how it works if you're signed, right? Another team might pick them up as that third quarterback. Right now, if you had to put money on it, I definitely think Sinet. So this is weird, right? Part of me thinks Sinet has the best chance because they also waived Trevor Simeon. So I, I could see them, and the Cowboys did this last year. They had two quarterbacks on their practice roster. If I'm the Bengals, I keep Sinet and Simeon there uh, because of Joe Burrow's injury. I don't know if he's going to play week one. You know what I mean? So you could elevate one of those guys, keep the other as the emergency three and whatnot. I mean, Jake Browning's never played an NFL snap uh, in the regular season. He's an XFL candidate, in my opinion, uh, or USFL. Then you have, you know, Simeon, who's had some success in the NFL. I think he's got a 15 and 17 win loss record. And he had his, one of his most recent stints with the Saints. He had an 11 touchdown to three interception ratio. And he actually played a lot better than the stat line indicated as well. So that's a possibility if, you know, I call these players kind of rentals. You know what I mean? Like they'll just fill the roster spot. And then, like, when you're up, your numbers are up. Okay, time to bounce out what, and whatnot. So, in that sense, I think Sinet could have the best opportunity to be on this team after, like, the dust settles. But at the same time, I could see him being a quick release once they're up to four quarterbacks and whatnot. But you never know, because if injuries pop in, not even at the quarterback position, but just having an open spot on the team, 
you, you might just keep them there. You know, it just depends on how, how in love with the staff and whatnot they are. I'm a big Sinet guy. You know, coming out of school, he was a one-year starter um, at the University of San Diego, the Pioneer League, same place where Josh Johnson went, uh, about 10 years difference, though. But, you know, he's prototypical size, not the most mobile. Experience was the biggest thing, but the one year he played, he did have, like, all the accolades and whatnot. Like, you know, I don't know if he was All-American, but I know he's All-Conference, the Pioneer League Player of the Year, all that, you know, resume-fluffing stuff. So when he came to San Antonio, I thought this guy deserved to have the chance. He had more pro experience, a little bit more accurate. He was a cusp guy. You know, he was active a couple times at Miami. And ironically, the year he's not there, Skylar Thompson, who I think Sinet's better than, gets a couple starts, starts a playoff game, and, you know, nearly leads Miami to a victory and whatnot. So biggest downfall about Sinet. I don't feel like he's got the most zip on the ball, but he does seem to me like a game manager plus. When you put a guy like Reed Sinet in an NFL game, what do you need? You need a game manager plus. You need someone who's going to throw you 180 to 225, two touchdowns, no interceptions. That's it. Get the ball to the tight ends. Get the ball to the, you know, these quick wide receivers on slots, or excuse me, on slants and whatnot that they have, like the Bengals. And then from there, they're going to be able to make plays and whatnot. To me, Sinet kind of fills that mold. You saw when he played with San Antonio, a little bit more aggressive. We've seen some good stuff throughout the preseason over his career. Like he had a 50-yard bomb to Devin Allen, and then he had another big one the other day as well. I'm pretty high on Sinet actually staying on that roster and kind of going flipping back and forth, if that makes sense, from like being released to the practice squad, released to the practice squad, based on availability of their roster space. I know that was way long-winded about Reed Sinet that anyone probably cared about. That's all good. I mean, it's takes, right? It's insight or thought processes, whatever. I think it's it's all warranted because I use this term biases all the time. We all have them in life one way or another, whether we we realize it. We have who we like. We have who we are aware of probably more. Doesn't mean you hate somebody, just you're kind of, drawn into a, a direction but i mean we didn't get to see a lot of reed in the xfl last year just circumstance whatever jack cohen happened to be the starter and with some struggles and some injuries you know obviously presented an opportunity for reed to play but it was very short-lived unfortunately you know injuries happen in any sport it can have but football is a contact sport probably as much of one as any exists so that's just bad luck but so maybe the XFL fans are not super familiar with him. So I'm glad that you did take a moment to kind of share a little bit about him because there's a reason why the Bengals brought him in and signed him to a contract. They didn't just bring him in on a tryout, right? There's talent there, whether we got to see it or not. You know, he's versatile enough to where, like, he kind of knows the game a little bit. As, and then when I say knows the game, like, the business side of it, right? Like, Reed knows who he is. Probably never going to play in an NFL game. He's a guy you want to keep around, you know, pick up a playbook real quick. Probably a smart guy. I thought what we saw on, like, the player 54 and the mic'd up for him, for a guy like that to look as positive and, like, his teammate, like, you know, those intangibles we always talk about of being a half-decent person, to see him, like, not doing the Matt McGloin thing, in my right. opinion, was was a big deal 
You know, like, because who is Jack Cohn to read Sinet and vice versa? You know, like, these guys are the same person to 90% of these coaches. You know, it's not like even Ben DiNucci has higher stock than anyone in the Seattle in the Seattle um, locker room because he's played in an NFL game and whatnot. So it's like these coaches come in, they're going to be like, okay, these guys are relatively like the same career path. While Sinet's been on NFL teams, three of them been on practice squads, has made like almost $2 million in the NFL. And Jack Cohn was a camp body for the Colts. You know, the fact that he was able to be cool about that, not playing and like, you never really saw his mannerisms on the sideline because you know they would have caught that. That's what they wanted. I think that says something about like his character and whatnot as well. You know, underrated. It is, you know, I know they kind of take me here on a quick little tangent away from what we're talking about. But I talked about that in the lead up to the 2023 season about how some of these veterans, whether it be a guy like Vic Beasley, maybe not being the same guy that he was, obviously the former all pro, He's obviously not all pro or else he would have been playing for a national football league team, you know, not coming to play in the XFL, but there are things he brings to the table. Right. And I think coaches must recognize this with some of the guys. And it's probably what steers them in the direction of signing certain players. Well, even if it wasn't designed to be QB one for reads and it, they probably know he brings certain things to the table because obviously we keep coming back to this football ecosystem and that's exactly what it is. Everyone's linked one way or another coaching trees and you know who you played for and all these things so they're they're linked enough that even if they haven't played or coached with a certain guy they know certain information about their character and their coachability and work rate and all that type of stuff so i mean i bet you that's a big selling point for reed and development doesn't just come from a coaching staff it does come from veteran players whether you don't have to be a veteran of you know 35, 40 years old at the tail end, trying to milk the last couple days of football out of you. Some of it is just whatever experience you can bring to the table. Okay, this is what I came across in my journey of trying to make it to the National Football League. But I do know what it's like to be in that camp. I know what it's like to be in the team and be that guy with a clipboard. So this is what you need to prepare yourself because it's not just about being QB3. It's also about being, how do I help? QB one in the process in the lead up to every game each week, you know, week in and week out. So I'm glad that you kind of share that because these guys are looking for their opportunity. And like you mentioned, Reed's probably not going to see the football field, even if he gets on one of those rosters, but it's still the opportunity that it could happen. And he understands his role. So let's just kind of take a look at each one of these guys here, just signed right a little bit. And we talk about how, Ben, you know, obviously Russell Wilson was far ahead of him. You know, I mean, just massive contract. They're too invested into him. So it doesn't matter if you're showing something. And I thought Ben DiNucci looked pretty good in preseason. I mean, if you look at his numbers, I thought he was pretty on par with Russell Wilson's. I don't think they were that far different. Now, there's a big difference here. I understand first teams are probably going up against first teams, second teams, (laughs) third teams. And then there's even... No, because those rosters are 90 players. Those guys are just not in the fray. So not all (laughs) numbers are apples to apples. So I I have to be fair here. Like, I'm not trying to be, you know, too far with my head in the clouds here and clueless. But, you know, looking at this, I thought he has a good chance. Now, would he take the practice squad? Has he done enough maybe where you think other teams might be interested? Because we've seen other guys like, you know, 
2020s, B.J. Walker was out with the Chicago Bears this time around, leaving the confines of Carolina, and it didn't work out too well for him. So, I mean, there's a couple guys here that are on the outside of looking at it, well, at least we're familiar with from the XFL world. Yeah. Do you think there's that possibility of, and obviously the Cowboys are out, so Ben's not going back to the Cowboys because they got themselves involved in that picking up <laughs> Trey Lance, and that shook up their own quarterback room. So, uh, yeah, I don't see him heading to, you know, back to, to Dallas. Yeah, I mean, personally, I think he stays with the Broncos. I think they stash him away on the practice squad. Um, Jared Stidham is the big factor in this because he had a, I think it was a two-year $10 million or three-year $10 million like contract that was guaranteed from what I re- remember reading. So it's like, you're really going to throw $7 million away for Ben Denucci? I mean for your backup quarterback when you have Russell Wilson, like I think, you know, you keep him around, um, you know, Stidham had some good stuff last year with, uh, two or three games. He played his cameo. I think he went over like 300 yards or whatnot. I think he handled himself really appropriately, especially with how terrible that situation could have went with, you know, Derek Carr and whatnot. So I think you keep like, in my opinion, Stidham has more upside, then Danucci, I mean, we kind of know who Danucci is as far as kind of being this gunslinger and whatnot. I think he should be in the NFL. I think he's in that weird category of being too good for the XFL and, you know, maybe not nothing special in the NFL. I can definitely see him kind of doing the John Wolford, Logan Woodside, P.J. Walker, you know, even Garrett Gilbert just hanging around for a couple more years, you know, and then when you call it a career at, eight years in the NFL, that's not a bad career. I think he's got the spark, the athleticism, you know, the moxie, all that goofy stuff. Too many turnovers, um, but, you know, part of me thinks that was more for show in the XFL of, like, I'm better than all these guys. I can make this throw. And it's like, no, you can't. No one can make that throw. <laughs> or very can make that throw. But, I mean, you know, some of these guys are going to, like, unfavorable quarterback situations. Is it outlandish to think that Ben DiNucci could have beat out Jared Stidham? No. But at the same time, like, I mean, you have a guy who's recently, like Sean Payton brought Jared Stidham there for a reason. You know, that's not a guy signing a one-year 900K contract. They're giving this guy like $10 million over two or three years. I can't remember. So, take you know, these contracts do matter. That's why this P.J. Walker thing to me is like, there's got to be something else going on in there because you just gave the guy $2 million guaranteed, you know, and like PJ's getting paid this year, regardless, you know, from his whole career and whatnot, you know, first time daddy Matt rule isn't around to keep you, keep you around, you know, but, uh, you know, regardless of everything that's happened to PJ Walker, like his spark that kind of faded away, like, you can't look back at his career and say like, Oh, it wasn't a good career. Like uh, undersized undrafted free agent at a temple who probably one of the, you know, was on, I would say on pace to have one of the best XFL career or XFL seasons, you know, obviously it was shorter, but he was on pace to throw over 30 touchdowns set records, you know, or rewrite records or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I don't, you know, I, Quarterback is such a weird position in the NFL. It comes down to connections, chemistry. If the starter, maybe the you know, maybe 
I saw something that Ryan Poles and PJ Walker didn't see eye to eye. Maybe that stems from Justin Fields. You got a, you know, sexy young Tyson Baguette, you know, thrashing it. But then it's like, are they going to keep him around over Nathan Peterman? Like, you know what I mean? So like that's all that stuff like blows my mind, you know, and there's only so much peeking behind the, the curtain we can do without just coming off off the wall speculation, in my opinion. 100%, which the one thing that's not speculation is the business side of football, right? Yeah. That Peyton brings in the player he knows, the one he has history with, and gives him a big contract. So you're right. Most people don't just hand away free money, but they did give away $2 million to P.J. Walker in Chicago to part ways. But here's the interesting part that a lot of people don't want to just acknowledge. It's not just the money that you end up sending away because coaches can get bought out. We see it in the college game all the time. It's crazy. Like, you know, we'll, we'll pay you for the three years you had remaining on your contract or whatever. But it's also the cap hit. It's the percentage, the dollar amount, right? If they figure out whatever was the signing bonus and whatever, okay, how are the they made the contract work. But there was a cap hit. And that's the other part that they can't afford because if they still have to turn around and then sign somebody, that new contract still going to hit the cap. So it, whether you're there or not, so it's a business and I understand that. And sometimes that's going to get in the way, the contracts and all that. And it's the sad reality of it for a guy like Ben DiNucci, but we'll have to see how that plays out. But the interesting part here with the third quarterback, I was a little surprised that Jordan Tyam, who actually signed with Minnesota in the first place, because I didn't, you know, when you try to look at how teams play, right, they usually have a playbook. And I'm not saying that every quarterback is identical, but I'm like, Kirk Cousins, Jordan Tahamu, I just, I thought that was a, a bit of a, you know, a reach to think. I'm like, okay, this is going to be the same quarterback room. So I'm going to share my thought. I don't think he makes the practice squad there. I think he's looking elsewhere. But what, what do you think, Pat? I don't, um, yeah, I don't think he makes the practice squad either. Certain times, in my opinion, like when you have these guys who sign, like they kind of like reek a camp body. And, you know, I kind of alluded to it with Reed Sinet, where when this signing, like when this opportunity came out for like the Bengals needing a quarterback, you know, my personal opinion was if it's an injury over. I think I said it like I tweeted. It. I was like, if it's an injury over four weeks, you should sign AJ McCarron to come in as like your day one starter. If it's an injury under under four weeks, you should sign like Ryan Finley to just be a guy on the roster and go Simeon. I I know I mentioned Sinet. I don't know if I wrote in the tweet, but I was like, if you're just looking for a practice squad slash camp arm, I listed like three quarterbacks. It was like Jacob Eason, like guys who are in the circle circuit you know so with that being said like what was going on with minnesota it seemed that there was more just like we needed someone to take reps more than anything like that nick mullins has been there going into his second season i think they traded for him if i can remember correctly i'm not 100 percent sure you got a guy like nick mullins there drafted jaron hall in the fifth round of this year i believe so you have guys there who are obviously established. Not many teams are keeping that QB4. Like you said, scheme-wise, it's it's not the most like, you know, but you also have a QB guru and with Kevin O'Connell. He's going to take extra time to care about that position a little bit more. So in my opinion, I think it's a possibility. 
But what would be more likely is that maybe like the Lions sign him or something, you know, a little bit more versatility. Like it, and I, it just depends like who's in the circuit, you know, like injuries are going to happen. There's a team like the Packers, you know, Jordan Love, Alex Magoo, a little bit more mobile, Sean Clifford, a little mobile. Do they sign him? Like, it just comes down to that, in my opinion. Like, what's the hot thing on the market as far as, like, with the quarterbacks and whatnot, as far as, like, who's next up, if that makes sense? Like, do you want a guy who's kind of fresh in the workout circuit and whatnot? Like, that's how I view it, you know? Like, I have a guy who's, like, in game shape, ready to go. Like, would I rather that guy than just, like, a random bloke off the street type thing? Like. That's where my head lies with it. That's why I think certain guys keep getting workouts because they're in game shape, you know? Well, we have seen praising remarks, glowing remarks, almost endorsements, if you will, from several NFL head coaches, you know, whether it be Tomlin, whether it be Belichick, whether it be Campbell, you know, whoever, of all talking about how important having guys coming in that are in game shape. So I completely get it, and I think that is the line of thinking more often than not with these coaching staffs and probably GMs that they're like, okay, we need somebody that's ready to go potentially in a short notice. Even if it is somebody on an injury, they got to pick somebody up. So that's going to be better than somebody that's been sitting holding a clipboard or just sitting around hoping to get a call to hold a clipboard. You know, it's a big difference. You can throw all the balls you want with a swinging tire in your backyard. It's not the same thing. <laughs> a little bit different. You know, I tell my kickers that all the time. Like when they'll be kicking and I'll sometimes come off the edge and they'll be like, what? And I'll be like, yeah, man. Yeah, it looks different. Even <laughs> a line, people coming at you. Yeah. yeah Very different. Crazy. <laughs> so even if these guys don't end up finding a home in the National Football League one way or another and they're looking for another home, this doesn't guarantee that we see them back in the XFL, does it, Pat? Because they were released from their contracts. And now with all that other competition, which is why I put that precursor out there to share. If you've done well someplace, chances are your phone's going to be ringing from a couple different angles. So what are your thoughts? You may know a little bit more. Maybe have a couple connections I don't. If this doesn't work out for either of those three, what do you think the likelihood is that we see them back in the XFL and with their team that they played for in 2023? Um, I think Tayamu to DC is a no-brainer. I feel like Fred Kice would bring him back, and you know, obviously, like Reggie Barlow, Vaughn Hutchins down there. I feel like they would bring them back pretty quickly. There's unfinished business there. Vaughn and Reggie specifically like have a pretty tight-knit group of like, okay, like they're building something and whatnot. From what I've seen, what I've talked to people around the organization, so to me, like it seems pretty linear to do that. If that makes sense. It's getting crowded in San Antonio, in my opinion. Um, I think they brought in two quarterbacks, if I'm not mistaken. I know they released Jawan Pass, and excuse me, um, I'm going to look up their roster right now, but I'm pretty sure they have Cone on the roster. They have Kurt Benkert, who's still technically on the roster, which, in my opinion, I wouldn't be surprised if Benkert just decided to play because he got bored. You know, he he seems like he's just kind of, like, doing his thing right now. I'm sure that guy makes a decent amount of money. They just brought in TJ Edwards, who is the IFL MVP or Offensive Player of the Year. A lot of accolades there. They 
claim the rights of Matthew McKay, who I think I actually met at one of the showcases. And then they also claimed Paxton Lynch last year. That's what, five quarterbacks with Sinet off the roster? I think Sinet's going to put himself back into that practice squad, like limbo type, where like we could see him on the Panthers, we could see him here, we could see him there. A guy like Sinet, man, this is who would have ever thought we'd talk about Reed Sinet in this much nauseum? But a guy <laughs> like, in my opinion, the XFL doesn't help him. You know, it might get him some more guaranteed money and more development. But I felt like Reed Sinet, if he didn't play in the XFL this year, was going to get signed by someone for a camp invite regardless, right? He's just kind of that guy. So he can go play in the XFL. He can go play in the USFL. And it, it doesn't really change many people's opinions of him. It's kind of like Philip Lindsay, you know? Like, Philip Lindsay probably is going to get signed in the middle of the season because he's Philip Lindsay. He's an experienced running back, kind of in that Kenyon Drake role right now. Right now, when he goes to the XFL, he plays four games. He's doing that to get in game shape, and he's doing that to take his one-year $700,000 minimum to a one-year 1.1 minimum, or 1.1 with a $400,000 guarantee. That's how I feel like some of these guys are. So I don't know what Paxton Lynch is doing, but in my mind, if my quarterback room is Jack Cohn, Paxton Lynch, Matt McKay, and you know TJ Edwards, I feel pretty okay with that going into 2024 based off the current quarterback market if I can't bring any more people in. You know, Cone kind of Cone needs more reps, but you know, you got an experienced guy like Paxton Lynch who played way better than the stat line indicated. I'm sure you saw it in Orlando. He did a couple good things. I don't think he's a barn burner by any means, but I think his time in the USFL was criminally underrated. He had plenty of drops still through for like 65% completion percentage. But um, I don't know if there's space for him in San Antonio, personally. I think he's in a tough spot. Once he lost his starting spot in Orlando, I think he was just open to an opportunity to play because he's not a young guy. All right. He's established enough now where it's kind of now or never. Right. And it's one of those things where he's got to play. And obviously, San Antonio was in a bit of a situation with injuries. They needed somebody, and bringing in somebody that was ready to go, that had been playing, is important. I don't know, though, if he sticks because they kind of had their plan and their way of doing things, and I think he was just the Band-Aid. So I do think he's on the outside looking in, but that doesn't mean that Paxton Lynch still doesn't have a place in the XFL because as long as he's under contract, anybody could just trade for his rights you know, in a swap. And we've seen that happen with quarterbacks already. Well, obviously the Luis Perez making a move to Arlington, you know, so things can happen for him. So I don't think he's completely out, but you're right. I don't know if he's going to be a reason why Reed Sinet does not come back to the Brahmas, but it, it does sound like there's a lot of quarterbacks in play there. But you want to look at it too. And like, you know, I, I'm a Paxton Lynch shill. So take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, but if your quarterback room is the same, right? Like they don't sign, I don't want to say an AJ McCarron type, but a guy who's played in a game, even Brett Hundley, a guy like Brett Hundley, who's got some NFL experience, you know, wasn't a star, but has like four of the seven starts in the NFL. That means something. Who do you like feel comfortable with as your QB too? Like Matt McKay is a rookie. 
TJ Edwards transitioning from the IFL game. Not a lot of these guys had success at quarterback. Like DeAndre Francois did not look good. Anthony Russo is an IFL guy now. He's tearing it up, but he couldn't make the Brahmas initially. I would rather have Paxton Lynch go for 14 of 18, 140 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. And, you know, maybe my defense can get another. And the Brahmas had a decent running game last year. Versus like TJ Edwards, who I, I have no idea what's going on if Cone goes down. You know, now if one of those guys gets hurt, I think you know you give Reed Sinetta a call no matter what. You know, and put him back in as your QB two, keep him away from the USFL or whatever. But they have till December to really you know add another quarterback, and then they'll make decisions as time goes on. You know, once everyone's playing and whatnot. So I mean, that quarterback room is a little bit. It's weird to say it's in flux, but it's definitely like you could expect some movement, in my opinion. All right, let's look at Ben DiNucci, right? Obviously, a lot of people thought maybe he was the best quarterback in the XFL, right? We can argue it from different viewpoints. You know, obviously, Jordan was a dual threat quarterback. Well, DiNucci was dual threat. He just didn't have the, the rushing yards, you know, to the extent that, Jordan did, but I wonder, and maybe I'm off, even if he wants to come back, you know, he seems he's a very confident guy and confidence is what you want at the quarterback position, but there kind of was points. If you recall watching on the sideline, he didn't quite click with his head coach. No, he did not. And you, and you saw it at the game. Like I was at the Seattle battle Hawks game and they, you know, they, they wiped the floor with St. Louis and, um, when Ben would come on off the sideline, he would just go into his quarter. It looked like Harrison Frost or Steven Montez was the one communicating to him from June Jones. And I asked other people if that happened for them when they saw him play in Seattle or at another game, if they were close enough to the sidelines. And they said, yeah, that seemed like a, a thing that happened and I was like well you know like that kind of says something to me but you know who am I you know like I'm just some dude so 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 am I I'm just a podcast host so I mean but it seems like I wasn't the only one that saw that and I kind of so I'm sorry that I jumped in but you're not the only one just some guy here I am asking questions and I kind of see it from the distance yeah so in my opinion it's kind of like do they really want to deal with that you know, Jim Hazlitt doesn't need to be coaching football. I don't think he's coached football since his UFL days. He's doing this because he likes the game. You know, originally Hazlitt, you know, was supposed to be the Battlehawks coach in 2020 and stepped away from it. I don't remember from what I heard. Something happened regardless. Like, that was his choice to do that. You know, like, he doesn't need to be here. Um Okay, sorry, that was completely false. Yeah, he was working as a defensive coordinator and then consulting for a while with some teams um, before becoming the head coach of Seattle. But, like, he doesn't need the extra stress in his life of dealing with some prima donna quarterback when, you know, he's had some pretty decent quarterback in his career. I think he had Drew Brees at one point in New New Orleans. And, um, I mean... Do you want to deal with that? I mean, the team's going to look different in Seattle this year, just like all these teams, but it's like, do I want to deal with that? Do you feel like Steven Montez could make that step? Could he really, you know, progress in a higher echelon? Um, I'd like to see Steven Montez play and whatnot. I'd like to see him get some reps and whatnot and see if he can make an NFL transition. 
because, you know, he is a big-bodied guy. Uh, they do have this young prospect in Harrison Frost, who I think got two NFL workouts as well. So, in my opinion, it's kind of like, what are we doing? I feel like they've drafted the rights of one quarterback. I can't remember who that person was. But in the end, it's kind of like, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze with Danucci? Does Danucci want to come back? I mean, we see his brand. His brand's making a decent amount of money. You know, is he going to want to do the practice squad cycle, especially with this third quarterback alternating? I don't think Russell Wilson plays all 17 games this year just because of health. I know they say he's kind of changed his workout regime, but, I mean, the older you get, I think he's like 35 now or whatever. You know, the body can only take so much. So 17 games is a long period of time to play some football and get hit by 300-pound men. So we'll see about that. We got to stop with those blinders looking at Tom Brady. Tom Brady is not the norm, people. People do not just keep playing football. And he would still be playing football today if he didn't decide to hang up his cleats. I, I understand that. You know, at some <laughs> point, everyone turns into old man river. It's so it, it doesn't matter. You know, father time is undefeated with everybody. And who knows what it's going to be with Russell Wilson. But, yeah, there could be opportunity there. But you have to see how it plays out. So I guess the last angle in to kind of look at this is, okay, we see three quarterbacks went out and signed after the 2023 XFL season to National Football League contracts, whether they stick or not to be determined one way or another. And we look at back at 2020, you know, we saw P.J. Walker bridge that into, yes, he had the contact with Matt Rule to be able to help facilitate that in the happening, but he did. He signed, he stuck, got some chances to play in the National Football League and didn't look completely terrible. Or sometimes I thought he actually looked pretty freaking solid. And, you know, Taylor Heineke, yeah, he didn't really play in 2020, but being a member of the Battle Hawks, he was find a way to bridge that to signing with the then Washington football team, eventually commanders. And he even had a solid season when he played several games where he put up a good amount of yards. His completion percentage was pretty solid at about, I think it was 65% somewhere around there. And he had a positive touchdown to interception ratio. So even if we want to die back to 2001, Tommy Maddox, obviously, you know, won it with the LA Extreme and Bridgette to playing some significant minutes and games with the Pittsburgh Steelers after the XFL folded. So, I mean, looking at the brand, have these recent signings helped to kind of keep the XFL brand more relevant? So, if you are one of these so called cast offs of the National Football League and you're looking at your options between the CFL, USFL, XFL, whoever, you know, there's other. You know, we got an arena football league that might spark some interest for people that might want to go that way because it just has, you know, kind of a name history, some recognition. Do you think the XFL has done enough where it keeps their name in a positive light and maybe a preferred location for those American quarterbacks? I mean, my big thing was always the timeline, you know, is that you could get your game reps, you could get it in different type of shape, and then you're ready for rookie minicamp. And sometimes, you know, it's not always about you know, what you do or it's who you know type thing. Um, that's a pretty, you know, common trait in life. So I feel like getting in front, like if I were to go to the Buffalo Bills training camp and I'm with Joe Brady and Joe Brady wants to sign me, but Ken Dorsey doesn't. Brady goes and becomes the offensive coordinator there. 
you know, maybe he brings me in, you know, for a contract because he liked me. So it's always good to have more eyeballs on you, more opportunity and whatnot. I think rookie minicamp, because essentially NFL teams are allowed to just shotgun 90 plus players to come to their facility is a big advantage. But in the end, you just need to make plays. And, you know, outside of A.J. McCarron, who has had NFL contracts talk to him, I think that's pretty common knowledge. Anyone who was in that top tier of quarterbacks in the XFL did get an opportunity. And then that second layer, like Jack Cohn and whatnot, they got looks as well. So in a lot of rookie minicamp invites and training camp tryouts and whatnot, so it really just comes down if you're good, you're going to get an opportunity. You know, I know it's XFL, but even last year with like the USFL, like Case Cookus eventually got an opportunity and made like 50 grand in the back half of the season. You know, he was considered a top tier quarterback. Um, you know, Jamar Smith getting workouts, obviously Alex Magoo, MVP, he got something. You know, there's McLeod Bethel Thompson, who he, you know, is kind of the outlier because of his age, but he, but flipping back to the XFL, uh, Jalen McClendon getting workouts and whatnot. And McClendon only started like two games in college and, you know, he started three or four games in the XFL. So it's like this guy only has five starts. And when, you know, I talked to Rod Woodson about him, Rod always mentioned, he's like, this guy's still a baby. He's still developing. Like I think Jalen McClendon next year could be the top three, top two, possibly a number one quarterback next year with a full season of being the guy and whatnot. So, you know, in the end, it comes down to being good. I know that's a very simplistic way of saying it, but if you're able to put up some decent numbers, some decent film, you know, able to read schemes, develop and whatnot, you're always going to have an opportunity to make plays and essentially do something and whatnot. I mean, we'll see. It's, you know, it seems like the X, both these leagues are invested for the long haul, which I think is good because one, it's more work for us to cover and opportunity to grow our brands, but two, it's also opportunities for the players and whatnot as well. And if you factor that in, I think the competition of both these leagues kind of outlasting each other, you know, even if it's not fiscally advantageous, so like, okay, we need to be here for one more year versus the other, the competitor, that's going to still weren't plenty of opportunities for guys to keep coming up in the ranks and what well coaches players just front office staff so you even alluded to the the media whether it's yeah. you know we talked about the the various level of media mediums whatever uh, yeah it's given opportunity to so many different people so i'm never opposed to bringing up the usfl in my show or mentioning the you know the canadian football league essentially what we've heard time and time again that football ecosystem and their all linked, whether I'm a podcast for that's dedicated to the XFL or not, the USFL is in the same space. It is. They're the same level of players and, you know, playing the same, essentially the same time of the year. So, you know, I don't hate it. And I know some people are like, well, again, biases are homers. You know, I don't, I don't care about that stuff. Let, let people think what they want to think. But I do think they impact one another, good or bad. But I think it's ultimately what's best for those that are vying for those opportunities and you know seeking their dream whether it's to you know get to the national football league as a coach front office staff player media members trying to latch latch on with maybe a larger you know news outlet so you know it's all good i i I don't sweat it so it is what it is kind of comes with the territory i believe i think if you're anti one of these leagues personally it's just like I think you're anti-football to an extent, you know, like 
because you you may not like the other league, but like when you vote for one of these leagues to fail, in my opinion, I think you are of the mindset of what is it, eight hundred jobs plus just for the players, probably fifteen hundred jobs overall for the people involved, you know, in it with support staff and me and you know their media teams and all that. So, in my opinion, if you're anti one of these leagues you're more along the lines of like anti like you know essentially jobs and whatnot and opportunity you know you get a guy like tj barnes with the renegades who came back you know wasn't going to be an nfl guy got his life kind of back in order physically i think he's a software developer as a job so i think fiscally it was pretty okay you know got lost like 50 pounds or something like that you know got back in shape to do this thing it says a lot, you know, and you know, I think that's something people need to really like consider when they are not wanting these leagues to succeed. Well, I kind of come back to where I hear these, and I call them NFL fans, not necessarily football fans. And it doesn't mean all NFL fans are not football fans because I'm a Dolphins fan just to share my allegiance or my fandom. And I am obviously all college football, the spring football. But I think when I hear the vast majority that are just, well, these leagues are not any good. They're not worth anything, worth the time to devote to it. But yeah, I hear those same fans mentioning how they want an expansion team or two in the National Football League. But when you hear that these leagues are not worth it because the quality of players are, well, where do we think to staff another 53-player active roster and then another 16 players uh, practice squads for one or two more teams are going to come from. It's going to come from these leagues, not just college people. They're not all going to be rookies coming in for the first time. You got to have people playing to, you know, not only staff these national football leagues, but heck there's injuries all year long. And those practice squads are in active rosters are constantly churning players out and they're picking people up, trying people out. Well, where do those, those players should be playing someplace. It's not all going to be people fresh out of college. have been sitting around. It's an ecosystem. It does come back to it. That's where I'm, I kind of like, you know, it's, you're kind of, if you claim you're a fan of something and you're rooting against something, whether it's a league or multiple leagues, I just don't get it. It just, it doesn't seem to, in the words of my father, compute well. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally, in the same mindset, you know, more football, the better. I mean, some days I'm a little bit overwhelmed with some of the articles I have to write because I cover, you know, St. Louis, do my own thing. And then, and then, you know, right now I'm kind of helping out with the showboats and the Panthers. So it's kind of double trouble as far as the amount of work I got to do. But in the end, you know, when it's a possibility that it doesn't exist and I need to, you know, I need to make sure that I'm a part of it as best as I can kind of savor the moment type thing. So it is a blessing and a curse, but right now it's more of a blessing. Yeah. I thought I was doing a 20 minute podcast when I started this thing out and <laughs> it has taken a, a life of its own. But, you know, I tell my wife all the time, I want to do it any other way now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, whether I got the bug or whatever you want, <laughs> the bugs bit me or however you want to say it, I, I'm in for the long haul you know, God willing. Well, you know, to let you get back to all that other work you got to do, Patrick, it has been a pleasure. And I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show to discuss the XFL quarterbacks that have signed with the national football league, but it looks like now they're kind of on the outside. We'll have to see how that gray area works out and what it 
ultimately could mean for the XFL here for the 2024 season. So much appreciated. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome. But before you go, can you take a moment just to remind everywhere where they can follow you, whether it's your social media accounts and whatnot, and where you got all that work that you got to go start putting articles out for? I write for the Marcast. I write for XFL News Hub. I write for USFL News Hub. You know, if there's a St. Louis guy who's, you know, in the CFL, I'll do some articles with that. You know, like Mike Glass, you know, back with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. My Twitter handle is by Pat Rufino on Twitter. I also do like YouTube stuff. Uh, My channel is called Analyze and Educate. Currently in this lull, my goal is to interview every head coach of every college football program. Uh, there's about 893 of them oh, in the United. Cool. Yeah, I'm at, I'm at six right now. I've done Lindenwood University, which is FCS, Missouri Baptist, which is where our coach at now, which is their NAIA first game this week. I've done Fontbonne University, which is a sprint football team, which I'll be going to one of their games to support them. I've done. McKindry, which is D2, William Woods, which is another NAIA school. And then this morning I just uploaded, um, you know, a little bit shorter interview with uh, Missouri S&T's head coach, Andy Ball, who whose father, Randy Ball, was the DPP for the Las Vegas locomotives um, of the UFL. So it's funny how that keeps coming up as well. So we're at six right now. You know, waiting on a couple others to get back with me, but in the end, it's uh, I mean, it's it's a, it's a ten year project, so I'm pretty, you know, pretty pumped about it. And pretty soon, it's not breaking news, but I'll be starting a campaign to get Luis Perez in the in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Well, there you go. That that would be well deserved. Just for those that are not aware, he's kind of had the first touchdowns for more than one league. Not only he's well traveled. And yeah. he's contributed in these alternative leagues pretty well. But for your goal of achieving all the college head coaches, you only have 794 more to go. Yeah, yeah. No, I think about that some days when I'm staring at my cell phone in the middle <laughs> of the, sending emails out to SIDs. And, uh, you know, I mean, I felt I felt like it was a good, you know, little challenge, a little 10-year ten 10-year ten plan, in my opinion. But, uh you know, it's something I really want to do. And, you know, I just think it's cool because especially with like, you know, what's cool is like when I, when I'll post it on Twitter or something, I'll get like a random like, it'll be from like Andrew Smith or Andrea Smith. And then I go, look, look who that is. And I'm like, Oh, who, you know, I don't know this person. They're not in my circle of, you know, Twitter people. And I look and it says like, you know, Missouri Baptist mom, so it's like the give these coaches not only a platform, but to allow these players or future players to see like another side. And, you know, coaching at Missouri Baptist, one, it, you know, meeting Coach B got me that job. But two, I've had the kids come up to me and they say, like, I had no idea like Coach B knew all these people because he played at University of Colorado. And, you know, Tyler Braden was his, uh, who was an NFL first round pick was his roommate and one of his best friends. And he's like, I had no idea coach B knew this guy. I was like, yeah, coach B's pretty legit, you know, like played under Rick Neuheisel, uh, coach Barnett. He had B enemy on this. Like he worked with B enemy. B enemy was there. 
you know, Vance Joseph was there, you know, he was on that back, you know, some of the non-sexy names like Ray Kurth, who's, if you Google that name, has done some less than desirable things, but he's been around some pretty crazy guys and it's pretty awesome. Yeah. You know, they always say what, six degrees of separation, but it's the people, you know, directly that really is, you know, pretty crazy. Any one of us know people, but then some people just know a lot more people that are notable. I argue that there's only one coach though, that has a cooler Rolodex than me. And that's because uh, coach Stuger, uh, head coach at Lindenwood, he, for the first eight years of, you know, when he got out of school, um, him and I started around the same age, uh, both 29 for coaching. Um, he was in Nashville as a country music. Like he opened for like Garth Brooks and stuff like that. So I, um, I always think about like Stuart uh, having a cooler cell phone Rolodex than me. Yeah, that has to be pretty <laughs> interesting. That's got to be really yeah. cool. Cell phone, he's got it because he's old. He's got he's got it in the actual paper Rolodex. Ooh, Rolodex, not just our contact app, you know, on the phone. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because I uh, sadly I'm old enough. I'm 43, turning 44 this year. I know exactly what that looks like. So sadly, I do. Well, Pat. I really appreciate it. It's been a, I, I almost want to say a perfect conversation because I, I really enjoy connecting with people and I blessed to have people like you willing to take the time to come out and just chat, you know, XFL and football with me. So thank you. Always. I'm blessed to be a part of it, man. It's a privilege. It truly is. Well, we'll have to do this again sometime when you're not interviewing those hundreds <laughs> of coaches. All right. So thank you. We'll catch you next time. Having Patrick make time and come on to the show is a treat. His knowledge and connections at various levels and leagues in the football ecosystem is extensive. If you are not already following Patrick or his work, I recommend you do so. As I have also previously mentioned, we will now be joined by show contributor Mark Halbach to review the XFL 2023 players who have found a home on National Football League rosters, as well as the XFL's release of IXFL, Three Days at the XFL Combine documentary, and more. Welcome back, Mark. To review. The XFL 2023 players who have found a home on National Football League rosters. And perhaps we'll even dive into the XFL's release of the IXFL three days at the XFL Combine documentaries. Well, Michael, it's glad to be back. You know, we're on the verge of the fall football league, the football season, I should say, um, as we go. And so it's exciting to see what's coming out of the XFL through the documentary, through the news, and then also see some of these players, you know, get a chance and, and make some, make a living here a little bit and, you know, and see what happens during the NFL season. Absolutely. You know, it has been something like three months and change that we have done an episode together. And it seems like so much longer has passed. Actually, it's it's hard to believe. It almost feels like it's been almost pushing a year and, and I'm not trying to, be one of those guys to hype something up or make it be a little bit more dramatic. But, you know, I know we were on that episode with Matthew Tyler, XFL the Insider X- yep. yeah, podcast, but it's even that seems a longer ago than what it actually was. So it's kind of crazy. I have been looking forward to this, you know, and I know we had been talking about it here and there, of how we could kind of do something before the season got started. But it, so I'm glad I'm just telling you, I've been pretty excited about this. So, you don't have to feel the same way. It's okay. I've been pretty excited. 
Well, I appreciate it, Michael. And anytime I get a chance to talk about football, though, I'm excited. So it's been a little bit of time, but, uh, you know, some some good developing things are happening. And, uh, you know, the XFL keeps moving forward. And it's good to see that. So I'm excited to talk about it again. All right. We'll stop with the pleasantries. We'll get into the football talk. So why don't we go ahead and begin with the XFL 2023 alumni who have capitalized on their XFL opportunity and used it to secure a place on these National Football League rosters. So prior to the National Football League team roster deadline, we had 66 XFL 2023 players who had signed NFL contracts. And for several reasons, many of them did not make the cut. Very limited number were fortunate to earn a place on an NFL 53-player active roster. So kudos to the D.C. Defenders punter, Daniel Whelan, who will be playing for your Green Bay Packers. Before we dive into the other roster designations and those players, I thought we could focus on Daniel for a moment because this is what every player strives for, and he is the only player to secure such a roster spot. He also happens to be playing for your favorite NFL team, as I just alluded to. What are your thoughts surrounding Daniel, the Packers, and him being the only player to achieve making an NFL active roster? Well, first, we got to congratulate Daniel. I mean, it's uh, definitely an achievement to be able to do that. And, you know, he beat out a nine-year vet that, you know, has kicked you know quite a bit in the NFL. So sometimes things come down to other circumstances. So I don't want to take anything away. Uh, from this achievement. But every once in a while, money has to be an issue. And sometimes you're looking to save here and there. So they may have been looking at that, but you know, beat them out. What people look for in a punter, you're, you're kind of looking for, hey, can you get the ball out in time? Can you hold? The Green Bay Packers also have a, a rookie kicker. And a lot of times the punter will be somebody that the kicker is familiar with to hold for them. That's actually one of the bigger jobs that nobody sees, you know, in the NFL. And that could have been something because, uh, you know, Green Bay drafted a kicker and brought him in. And Mason Crosby was their kicker for a long time. And he knew uh, O'Donnell, the old punter, they kind of probably brought him in because of Crosby struggled a year prior to that, and then O'Donnell came, and, and it got better because that hold is, you know, there's four parts to a kick and a field extra point, right? There's the snap, there's the production, there's the hold, and then there's the kick. And the second hardest thing to do to me is hold them, okay? And I've had to do it. I, I did it in high school, and they had other people try and do it, and they couldn't get it done. So it is not easy. And without, you know, in high school, back in the day, I had to, you know, I had that black T, you know, the block that I could put it on. They don't have that in professional leagues or even college anymore. Right. So it is a tough job. So I wonder how much that went into it as well. You know, people are probably not thinking about that. Right. They're thinking more about his hang time, and what he can do inside the 20 and things like that, directional kicks. But he won that job fair and square. and. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, him go through the season. Not a high-profile position for the XFL, but, you know, it's a great achievement for him, for the XFL. And, you know, I'm looking forward to to kind of seeing him and, and what he can do, you know, for the Packers this season as well. 
So I kind of thought back to when we had our discussion about the end of season awards, like who made the offensive team, who made the defensive team and the special teams. And we were kind of talking about special teams there a little bit. And we looked at Daniel and I think we had talked about some of the other guys that may have had better punt averages and whatnot. And we kind of came back to a consensus, if I recall correctly, that Daniel did what was needed and he did it very well for the defenders this past season. So looking at him making it, he just seems to be, it doesn't matter what the, the statistics. And I think so many people get into these analytics and analyzing numbers so much that it's like, okay, well, why is it so-and-so or so-and-so? He clearly does what's needed. And I think we as fans, not saying you and I, but we as fans and listeners, I think we kind of lose track of what the situational you know, thing that's developing and how it played out. Obviously, Daniel did that very well and continues to do that very well whether it was in training camp, preseason, because he's made the cut. And even if it is financial, and I do not doubt that that played a factor to some extent, but this is the National Football League. They're not just cutting money just to cut money because these guys are not probably going for the, the first overall pick. They're still competing in this division because that's what the Packers do. They hang on to a guy for a long period of time. They draft their successor a little early have him sit behind somebody and then their goal is to have the guy play at quarterback as if nothing had changed so let's not you know anyone's out there thinking well yeah this is a building no i don't think there's ever a total rebuild because the packers are a very different market very different ownership obviously and they just function very more so off of draft picks utilize that type of stuff so I think they're very savvy. I don't want to say very smart, but I, mean, I think they're savvy. And smarts do play into that savviness. But I think that Daniel obviously is more than just cutting corners. He definitely was a smart selection because he produces. Regardless if it's a big booming kick or just placing it, that little small one, not getting a touchback, all that stuff. So, I mean, you know what? This is not that surprising. But what is surprising to me is it's only one. And I'm not saying I was expecting 10. I mean, we can get into some of these other things here. So I want to focus on the next, what I believe is the, the next three important players. And that would be the Seattle Sea Dragons defensive tackle, Austin Falu, who is on the reserve slash pup list, okay, for the Seattle Sea Dragons. We also have the Orlando Guardians receiver, Charleston Rambo, who's on injured reserve for the Philadelphia Eagles. And there's the Vegas Vipers tight end, Brandon Dillon, who's also on injured reserve with the Washington Commanders. So for those who may not know, these designations are injury-related, obviously. Okay, so, I mean, it's not to play anybody for a fool, but I'm just saying let's just have a very candid, and let's just make sure we're not missing or leaving anybody behind the discussion. So, and it keeps them in the mix, though, to occupy a spot on their respective team's active roster once they clear that designation tied to these injuries. So they do technically have 53 players that do not have these players. They're in these injured lists, if you will. But what does this tell me? They were in consideration for the active 53-player roster. So 
okay, I'm saying I wasn't expecting 10. Here's three more players. If you added to Daniel, would we have four? And I think we'd be looking at this a little bit different. Like, okay, well, maybe this is what I was thinking we potentially see on this. So, of course, there are other players currently on the active roster, and one of them would have to be dropped or placed on an injured-related list like these gentlemen are for them to occupy that. Because if not, then there's a hard decision that will have to be made. So, I mean, I'm just going to put it out there. How do you view these guys in this capacity? I mean, they're they're in limbo. I'm trying to be fair to these guys and not completely look at them like a practice squad player yet. Yeah, you know, there was a reason that the the teams designated them to to an injury list, right? And wanted to, you know, keep their rights. So maybe they were having good camps. Maybe they feel they've seen, you know, potential out of them. You know, a lot of times it goes back to also what their scouting report said when they, you know, when they were coming out of college too, and what their upsides were there. And if they're seeing that, but I think what may happen after they through this list is they may make a practice squad in that regard. I think that, you know, putting them on this list, it keeps their rights and they, they probably wanted to make sure that they were able to, to sign them to the practice squad. Uh, once they um, are off the injury list here. So it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of use that. And we'll see if one makes an active roster or if they wind up, you know, on a, on a practice squad. I would assume they just wanted to make sure that they, that there was enough upside here. And practice squad players get elevated every week. So don't be surprised. You know, when you make a practice squad, people are out there looking and also understand you know, in the NFL, when you're on a practice squad, you can get signed to anybody's active roster. And once you play, you know, so many games, it's considered a complete season and you get paid out for that. So there are benefits to hanging on to a practice squad. And that's why you see these guys doing it. And I think it's great. But, um, you know, it'll definitely increase the three players that you mentioned here, their chances of making, you know, whether it's the active roster or or practice squad here. So we'll have to see though. I mean, if they feel that the injury is too much, they might waive them and then they have an injury settlement and then it kind of goes, you know, only time's going to tell. And, and the decision makers, you know, there's a lot going on with personnel in the NFL. So every stone is turned over and every little thing is looked at. So we'll take a look and we'll have to just kind of see what happens. I think it's a fair assessment, right? It, one way or another, you're stashing players you got to find a way to have more players assigned to you and keep your pool or whatever it may be intact that you want, whether it's for the active roster, whether it's for the practice squad. So, I mean, I, I believe that's a, a very valid assessment or thought. So, I mean, I just, I view it as an extension of the active roster because I think rule wise, it kind of is, but you might be more, right that it might be like well we can just put them here but we still add other guys to the practice squad so either way it's a way of being able to sign more people and get around the nfl roster rules so to speak a little bit i think you got to have a legit reason to sign them to the injuries list right you know so i don't think you know they're stashing players but a team might be a little in that area and you know maybe it's a small wrist injury or ankle injury or something, you know, and that way they can kind of put them on that list and then they can make sure that they have the guy that they want just in case, 
other things happen within their roster. And those rosters in the NFL, we talk about player 54 in the in the XFL here. Player 53, 52, 51, and 50, I mean, all over the place. You never know what's going to happen when it comes to that. So these guys need to, you know, be ready. And I'm, I'm going to assume there's going to be some people elevated to an active roster, you know, during the course of the season, which would be great to see. And they'll probably, you know, and then they may have to, you know, be put down. But what I find interesting more is there's kind of that third quarterback in the NFL this year. And I feel that that's going to have an impact a little bit more because everybody needs to have that third quarterback now on their practice. Happens if somebody else wants your third quarterback, right? So people are taking a chance with the, with the third quarterback there. So, I mean, so like if you're Denver, right? Ben Danucci, he'll be on the sidelines suited up. He won't be active, but he's probably got to be ready, you know, or maybe he's not suited up, but, you know, his stuff's in the locker room. And if one guy gets hurt, he's got to go and get his uniform. So it's going to be interesting how teams play that this year in the NFL because of that. And I think that gives these XFL quarterbacks and USFL quarterbacks as well an opportunity that they probably won't quite have. And they can make a good living doing this. If I'm a fringe practice squad quarterback, you know, can I bounce back and forth? And, and play a 10 game, maybe 12 games in the XFL, right? And then be on a practice squad, be that third quarterback, and then go back to the XFL. I'm, I'm not quite sure how that's going to happen. I, I'm sure there's some future NFL futures deals that might stop that. But these guys might take that option because they want to play. Like, you only got so many years. You're wasting your prime years. It's not going to happen. But I'm finding that that's going to be interesting as well for, you know, these players as well. Well, you alluded to Ben DiNucci in the practice squad. So practice squads are essential to each of the 32 National Football League teams. We know that football is a violent sport, which causes several of injuries. So despite, you know, striving to make an active roster, multiple of these XFL 2023 players found a home on NFL practice squads. Unfortunately, these spots have a high turnover, as you had alluded to, it's a very fluid, fluid, however term you want to use. So it is difficult to keep up to date with these. So yeah, we'll try our best. As of this recording, it appears the following XFL 2023 players have landed on NFL practice squads. And I'll just go down by their XFL teams. The DC defenders have wide receiver Lucky Jackson with the Minnesota Vikings. The Houston Roughnecks have wide receiver uh, John Trey Kirkland with the New Orleans Saints, wide receiver Mike Bandy with the Denver Broncos, defensive lineman Jake Heflin with the New Orleans Saints, and defensive lineman C.J. Brewer with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Orlando Guardians, and I find this one interesting, tight end slash linebacker Jordan Thomas with the Carolina Panthers. I find that one interesting. That's just me. Not just because I was a Guardian season ticket holder, but I'll just keep fluent here. We can come back to these. The San Antonio Brahmas had defensive lineman Matt Godel with the Seattle Seahawks, kicker Parker Ramo with the Chicago Bears, cornerback Luke Barco with the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Seattle Sea Dragons had quarterback Ben DiNucci with the Denver Broncos, offensive lineman Barry Wesley with the Atlanta Falcons, defensive lineman Nico Lalos with the New Orleans Saints, 
Uh, we have St. Louis Battlehawks wide receiver uh, Marcel Edmond with the Buffalo Bills, running back Brian Hill with the San Francisco 49ers, offensive lineman Jared Jones Smith with the Washington Commanders, defensive lineman LaSalle London with the Atlanta Falcons, and last but not least, the Vegas Vipers wide receiver Matthew Sexton with the Atlanta Falcons. Okay, a bit of a list there. I hope I uh, haven't missed anyone, but you know, like we said, this is pretty fluid. And especially practice squads, it, there's a lot of changes. So, you know, one of the or two of these guys could have already been released. We could already have one or two more XFL 2023 players that have already been added. So um, I believe this was 17 players and their chances of bridging their practice squad opportunity to making their team's active roster is still possible. I'm not, we don't know what that percentage is because, again, injuries, performances, there's a whole lot to go on here. Who did I miss? Did I miss anybody, Mark, that, that you get to go off the top of your head? That's the same list that I have, you know, and it's interesting because you're you're probably going to see more get signed uh, as injuries mount up, as certain things, you know, happen during the course of the season personnel-wise. But it can be a little, you know, volatile here a little bit. But there are a couple people, you know, that, you know, noting on this list that, that's great to see. Right. And I think you're going to see more of them get signed kind of throughout the year. And hopefully, you know, somebody gets on an active roster and, and makes a couple plays and, and, you know, gets that name, you know, gets the XFL name out there a little bit more, but this is pretty typical, right? I mean, this is what these players have been kind of been battling for. And, and when the XFL calls it a league of opportunity, I want people to understand that that opportunity always isn't the NFL. It's an opportunity to play for the XFL and make a living playing football. One note about the practice squad, right? They're they're making about a, you know anywhere from eleven to you know twenty thousand dollars a week, depending on your status and how many years you have in the league. So this is a good living for these guys right now. If you play. Like I mentioned, you play 10, 12 games in the XFL, you go into training camp, you get paid a few thousand bucks a week in training camp, and then you get assigned to a practice squad. You can hang on there for a couple. You can make a few, you know, you make some money doing this and make a livelihood playing football. Now, it is a little bit taxing, right? You're traveling a lot. You're trying out a lot. You're doing a lot of different things. But this list is going to be interesting. One one note is, um, you know, Jack Heflin. Jack Heflin's been in the NFL. He's played in the NFL. So seeing him on this list does not surprise me because he played quite a bit for Green Bay. And um, he he was a, a force to be reckoned with for the Roughnecks, you know, in the XFL as well. And it's great to see Brian Hill get a shot. It's great to see Lucky Jackson. I know we're talking skilled players, but you know what? They will flip over every rock they can find for offensive linemen, okay? There aren't enough ever in the NFL to play at that level. There aren't enough to play at the XFL level. They're hard to find, so they would flip that out. So I was glad to see that. I think there's about, there were two offensive linemen, you know, that were getting a shot on a practice squad as well. So I think, you know, the the hope and the dream is is to make it to the NFL. And for for us, to see them in the NFL as XFL fans, right? But when we come down to reality a little bit, 
these are who these guys are, right? There's going to be every once in a while, there's going to be an outlier that's going to make this league. And as the leagues get better and better and better, as we'll, you know, hopefully we'll talk about later on how they're going to be able to do that. You know, more and more of these players will get opportunities and more and more will make rosters, I think, a little bit. Um, I think being the first year, right, people are just kind of feeling it out a little bit. But a lot of them made training camp. You know, you need bodies. You, you get to play in some preseason games. Uh, you get to kind of, you know, do some things in the preseason in the NFL that's that's fun. So I'm excited to kind of see where everybody lands and, and where they're at. But, you know, the one note that I, I do want to make, the XFL is really marketing this transition to the NFL. And, you know, we see it all over our Twitter feeds. The coaches talk about it. Understand this. They're trying to build a league, so they need to recruit players. So if there is a future opportunity, right, that they feel that they can get you ready for or tell you they can get you ready for, they're going to tell you that. But it's fun to see, and I can't wait to to see if somebody gets out there and makes a couple plays this year in the NFL. So I just want to take a look at a couple of these players because last season or during the season, shall I say, of the XFL season, I know I brought up at one point, I think we were pretty much in the same wavelength. I didn't go back and listen to these episodes, so I could be, excuse me, my recollection could be off a little bit, but Brian Hill was one of these guys that I, I believe I was alluding to a lot of times. I thought he was like the second best running back in the XFL. I mean, at one point he was dealing with some injuries and we always constantly talked about how running backs didn't have to rush for a hundred yards in this league because it was a different league with the clock and, you know, just the rules in general. And what's interesting is that he got his shot on a practice squad. You know, looking at who is ahead of him, he may or may not get that opportunity to get up into the action roster because McCaffrey is one of those guys that when he's healthy, you he's probably the best, right? All-around guy, but he also has injury issues. So, Brian, if he can stay healthy in – you know, throughout the season here on the practice squad, he might be able to, you know, get picked up uh, to an active roster spot. So that's something I, I would be interested in seeing. But kind of just to do a lateral move here, the best running back that was obviously the consensus running back from XFL 2023 was Abram Smith. And he was signed to the the Minnesota Vikings, but ultimately got cut. And we haven't seen him make a practice squad or anything. But like we said, this is fluid. He might be holding out, hoping that he could get a 53-player spot someplace. But I think those waivers have already came, and I think that opportunity has already passed. So now it's going to be practice squad or nothing. So uh, we can keep an eye on that. But I think there's obviously a solid running back out there for the XFL that's available if he wants to come. But uh, go back up. I thought Nico Lalos did a phenomenal job with the New Orleans Saints in the preseason. I know it was only three games. One game, he knocked it out of the park. I mean, you just don't see that type of production. But uh, so I think that's a guy that could potentially break into the um, the active roster as well. And I just want to come back up to the, you know, I, I know I alluded that I wanted to talk about this. Jordan Thomas, tight end, has been converted to linebacker with the Carolina Panthers. So this is clearly a project, right? A transition, and in this transition, he's shown enough to the Panthers that they want to continue to see where this project goes. So, 
Jordan Thomas might make the after you know the active roster for the Panthers if he can show enough at the linebacker position. But how crazy is that to think right now that at this stage in anybody's career, you know, we don't see two-way players that that often anymore. And I'm not saying that he's found himself a way to be a two-way player, but to find a spot on an active roster, I think if he can make himself a legitimate linebacker here. I think he might have found a way to secure himself the 53-player roster because there's only so many spots, and if you could use them either way based off injuries and stuff, it's just an interesting thing. I, I mean, I had to come back to it, not because he was a guardian. You just don't see that. So I mean, your thoughts on that, Mark? Well, changing positions is no joke. So he, he's had to have some type of experience with it, whether he did it in college or, you know, you play both ways in high school, but um, it's no joke. And maybe they saw enough of them on special teams as well that they're kind of hanging on to them. But yeah, that I think if you're trying to change somebody's position in the NFL, it's a project, right? And you want to hang on to it just to kind of see where it goes, you know. So that that is kind of an interesting you know pull for uh, you know Carolina to kind of you know move him to linebacker when he played tight end for the Guardians. But we'll, we'll you know there's a lot more in playing linebacker right when you're the when you're on the bottom of the depth chart at linebacker you're going to be on every special teams okay so maybe they saw something there as well that they really liked so that plays a big part of it as well Um, when it comes to the running backs you know that's going to be all kind of situational right you know brian hill did a great job right and abram smith we know there's a lot that goes into playing running back in the NFL, and it's more than what we we see all the time, right? You have to be on your game in the passing game and also pass protection-wise. You are the kind of the sixth person in, when it comes to pass pro. If you can't do that, you're not going to make it in the in the NFL. You know that was the you know the invention of the third down back, you know, back in the day, right? And then all of a sudden it became somebody that might be able to sneak out for a pass a little bit more. But it was to make sure that your main running back wasn't taking a pounding either on third down when people were most likely to send pressure. So there's a lot that goes into that. So, and then, you know, all these situations are different. Who's in front of you? Were they draft picks? Were they not draft picks? The GM, you know, everybody's human. So everybody's got a little bit of bias on, on certain things, right? When I coached, you, you got in trouble falling in love with the kids you recruited, okay? Because you wanted to say that you were a good recruiter, right? You kind of had to take a step back and be objective then. And that's the same thing being a GM, right? When you draft somebody, are you willing to cut? the draft pick or is your ego going to get in the way a little bit more? So there's a lot of, there's a little bit of politics that goes into that as well that, you know, we don't see, but I think definitely, I think you'll see Abram Smith get signed somewhere when the, once the season starts going and, and injuries start mounting up a little bit in the NFL. I always said this, you need three. All right. Basically, you need one. You need two of them for the regular season to take the. And you, if you have a third one that's got some fresh legs and there's playoffs and stuff, 
Hallelujah, you're going to do well in the playoffs because a lot of times these guys get beat up so much during the course of the year. And, and a lot of this has been documented with the running back contracts lately, right? That, you know, you only got so much in during the course of the year. And a lot of these running backs come out of the blue in the playoffs, right? Because maybe they were hurt and then they get, you know, they come back and we, you know, 14 and then they get their legs under them and then all of a sudden they're off to, to the races in the playoffs a little bit. So it's interesting to see that. Um, Nico, yeah, there were some highlights there, definitely. And I think, you know, New Orleans was going to take a chance on that, kind of seeing that he was plays. Again, this is going to be very fluid throughout the year. It's going to be interesting to see where people wind up. I mean, Brian Hill's in a pretty good spot with San Francisco in their running game. It'd be great to see him get an opportunity there. But yeah, we'll, we'll, I agree. You know, yeah, I mean, but we'll wait and see. I mean, this is the type of player right now that is in the XFL. They are going to be practice squad, maybe the 52nd, 53rd. I know we call it, you know, the whole player 54. We're, Podcast is named after it. So this is what we're going to be dealing with for a while. And every once in a while, we're going to get an outlier and he's going to sign a contract for three years. That's when you know it's real. Okay. When when they start signing multi-year contracts and stuff like that, then you know that the team is is committed to you, uh, you know, with that. So keep an eye out for that. But it's not a bad place to be. These are good, good football players. And a league can be built around them. And we're showing that right now, and the XFL wants to. And, you know, we just need that one person. We need that outlier to go in, make make a few plays, make a run, and get the XFL plastered all over Sundays in the fall. And you're going to see different players start showing up for the XFL in the spring. I agree with your assessment, what you say right there, at 52, 53, you know, the type of player the XFL has. You know, I'm, I might even go a little bit further and say anywhere from the NFL's active roster of player 51 all the way probably to someplace around 80, 85, right? So what do, what do I mean? Okay, you got your 53-man roster. You got, you know, injured reserve, your pup list. You got your practice squads, I believe, are which are like 16 players deep, something like that. So I think the XFL has a lot of players that are in that mix, right? I think that's where these players can land anywhere on those rosters. I'm not saying they can't get themselves much higher up the depth chart on that 53, you know, player roster. But I think this is what these players really are and where they're at now, whether they just completed it, you know, the 2023 season, in the XFL, and here they are on the fringe of competing for the 2023 in the NFL. But the reason why I'm saying this is because talent is half of this. But when you're in this window of that group of players, there's got to be a different mentality. I'm going to go back to that game when uh, Abram Smith kind of got in the locker room and was like, I want the, you know, I want the ball and I want this and that. And I understand you want players that want to be able to compete and perform and don't want to go hide in the shadows someplace. I get that. But when you're in the NFL and this is the window you're at, you can't be that guy. You can't be that vocal. You can't be that visibly upset that you're not that guy. This is where you have to understand where you're at in this football ecosystem. And I'm not taking a shot at you, Abram, because I know it very easily sounds like that's what I'm doing here. But I'm just trying to, it's, it's an easy thing to be like, hey, I thought Brian Hill was number two. Clearly, he wasn't number one. Abram Smith 
ran away with it in the XFL 2023 season. But here we are. Why is why is Abram Smith not on one of these spots? Now, there could be a number of things. And I'm not saying, Mark, you have the answer. I clearly do not have it. But I'm just saying this is the discussion of why when you were saying that player 52, but there's that window. You have to know whereabouts you are in the ecosystem. And to see guys not on a practice squad doesn't mean they don't have the talent to be. Just means maybe when they got brought in on these NFL contracts and played in the preseason, they just didn't seem to fit where they were going to actually place as far as ego and acceptance of your role on a team. So I'm like, I'm not trying to take shots at anybody. I know it's exactly what it just sounds like I just did, but I'm trying to paint a picture for even the listeners, XFL fans. It's not that our talent in the league that we love to, in we want to grow and to continue to give an opportunity to. Not that the talent level is not there. There's just more to it. Whether we want to call it the politics of the National Football League, right? Just we, we all have a place and we have to understand where we're at. So not that you can't strive and want something more, but sometimes you just got to you gotta go with what the reality is for the time being. So I, I just felt it was important to share that right now because I think that plays a big, big factor in some of these decisions as well. Well, Michael, and every organization, whether it's in football or out of football, and we're all sometimes part of one, or we're running one, right, has its level of high-maintenance people that they're willing to deal with, okay, and where they're willing to deal with that, okay? So let's take football for an example. I would say, in my opinion, Urban Meyer in his coaching career, had a high level of dealing with high-maintenance players and would tolerate that in his organization. Myself is probably not so much, right? I would have it maybe a little bit. There'd be a couple, okay? But if you were a freshman and you were high-maintenance and you were go deal with somebody else for a while, like – there's everybody's got their tolerance for that, right? So when you when you talk about the other intangibles, right? We see the playing on the field and we think these people as just football players and they all think alike or they all think the same way. That's not true. And in you hit it on the head there, there are other circumstances. And you know, there's also, hey, maybe the week they get called, you know, they're just yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll fly to Buffalo, right? You know, and then the next week they're like, well, Jesus, you want me to fly out to Los Angeles now and try out? You know, give me a few weeks. You know, I mean, we're, we're human. You know, and I'm not saying that's happening, but we all get, you know, a little rundown when it comes to that. So I would say there's a different, that you know, every organization has their tolerance for that. And it all depends on that. Um, and obviously then there's going to be politics, right? Especially when there's draft picks and egos and everything going involved in that. So it's fun to watch. It's fun to talk about, but at the end of the day, these guys, I'm hoping they stick to the practice squad. I'm hoping more get signed onto it so they can make a living doing this because there's nothing better than making a living, playing, coaching, you know, even if it's a hobby, it, there's nothing better than it. so. I give them kudos for that and sticking with it and keeping going and, you know, working with their agents and, and, you know, having that aspect. But if you're a player too, you also want to make sure you're being signed to a good situation. You know, you don't want to go into a situation where 
you know, you're going to, you want to have an opportunity, right? I mean, if they have like four running backs that, that they really designated and really like, and you know, you're going to be sitting there, you may not sign with that team. Then, you know, uh, I know that we think everybody wants to jump an opportunity, but sometimes you're going to assess that opportunity first before you jump at it. So there could be that a little bit of that going on too. So a lot of things go into it. Like I said, fun to talk about interesting stuff. But at the end of the day, I just want to see more people make a living playing, coaching, refereeing, scouting, player personnel, make a living in football. And and that's what I feel the XFL has brought. I feel the USFL has brought a little bit of that, has brought that as well. Uh, so I think it's it's good. And I don't think these players, you know, maybe they did get signed to these practice squads and get a chance. Maybe the 66 players did get a chance because they have film now. And they can be evaluated a little bit more. So they're putting themselves out there. And that's what you need to do to be able to get that. But, you know, it's going to be fun to see how this goes throughout the season. Yeah, I don't think this is the end for anybody that hasn't. Right? We talked about this being fluid constantly. And I believe you're really on to something. And, you know, we have seen a lot more of the National Football League head coaches essentially having praising remarks, almost endorsing the XFL, the USFL, right? Talking about how these players are coming out in peak shape, ready to go, and how that can be important because, you know, we do see a shortened NFL preseason, right, by removing that fourth game. But even with it, we see a lot of teams not playing starters for whatever reason because, you know, people just it's not risking the injuries, not the tip, whatever we're looking to potentially do this season, whatever. There could be a number of reasons. But either way, by being a player that's in top shape, not coming into a preseason, maybe a couple pounds overweight, probably not quite up to your, you know, max speed because you kind of took not, you know, plenty of time off and just, you know, I get it, but it, like it comes down to that bodes well for XFL and USFL players. So I do agree, you know, the ecosystem is churning out players and putting them in a better position versus these guys that weren't playing before. So, yes, I don't think anybody is over. I think Avery Smith still has a fantastic opportunity to eventually get into a practice squad or if injuries happen, somebody might just, you know, bring him in because he might not be that practice squad player, you know, for better or worse, for whatever reason. But he obviously is somebody that can perform and he's got a lot less miles on him because he converted to becoming a running back later in the in his college years right it wasn't right out of the gate so he hasn't been a running back throughout high school where he got pounded for running three four hundred yards like we see some of these guys in high school running because they're just workhorses and no one can stop them they're essentially those thoroughbreds that are just going crazy so i think there's a chance but i don't want to you know spend too much time on this but we can kind of just dig as far as any other players is there anybody else that you think We'll probably see more than likely in the foreseeable future. Is there any, you know, say like one or two players that you think it's just, wow, I'm really shocked it's not? I was a little shocked on Darius Shepard and Hakeem Butler. I know both Battlehawks. I thought they played so well in, in this, and, and especially Darius as a special teamer, too. So I was a little surprised there. You know, one surprise is actually to me but it's in the opposite direction a little bit, is A.J. McCarron. I mean, you would think that a camp guy, you know, they'd bring him in for camps and stuff like that, and maybe he decided, hey, being, you know, that he, the reason he came to the XFL 
was family and he wanted his sons to watch him play. You know, maybe he wanted to take the time off and spend time with his family and maybe he comes to XFL, which says a lot about XFL. I think that, you know, if we're going to talk about players being signed, being great, what about AJ was, you know, phenomenal this year, right? I mean, and nobody can doubt that. And if you can get him in a training camp, you would do that because you want your receivers to catch a ball from good quarterbacks. You don't, you know what I mean? Like I call them camp arms. Sometimes you get brought in, you know, Luis Perez sometimes goes to LA and gets to be a camp arm for a little bit and they get to make some money doing it. So I'm, I'm a little surprised on that one. So I, I know I'm off track there <laughs> and I know I'm on the battle Hawks right now, <laughs> but that, and then obviously Pearson, with the slot receiver and everything that he was able to run around everybody, you know, uh, in the XFL. So I'm a little surprised on that. You know, there's going to be some old linemen that kind of find their way through there. I'm not on PFF, always looking up XFL grades on offensive linemen and and doing studies on that, but you're going to see old linemen and D linemen kind of rotate through that, but just kind of popped to my mind here a little bit that I'm surprised, you know, didn't really get, you know, signed or they did and and didn't really stick on a practice squad. But again, there's so many reasons, right? And and we went through them. So, but I know I went off topic there a little bit with the AJ McCarron, but that's just an interesting aspect of it. Like a guy can make a living playing in the XFL. Let's do it. Do it. I think you're right. I think AJ may have decided not to. Wouldn't be surprised if people did call because I think he did a fantastic job. Obviously he's somebody that knows what it takes to be a backup quarterback, which it does take a special type of person to sit there and hold a clipboard and be supportive of making sure that the starting quarterback is on top of everything and ready to go and performing at the best of their ability. It's not necessary to always challenge. So knowing that he's been there, I think AJ may have taken himself. I don't know anything. I mean, I don't know him. I don't know his representation, but seeing him at the St. Louis showcase, and his involvement in essentially being an ambassador, I think he has closed that door on the NFL. I think he has moved on past that himself. I think he is fully embraced and is going to relish in this moment with the XFL, whether it's because he wants to do it as a player, whether he wants to do it, you know, for his children to see him competing, you know, because they have that, whatever those reasons are, I think that's what he's done. So I think that's why we didn't see him. But, you know, I do think there's a number of players and, and I think more so, defensively because when we had our discussion I thought there was a plethora of players that could have been considered for defensive player of the year we had gotten into the Travis Freeney we had gotten into obviously Pitta Tamapopu or whatever uh, but we had Jordan Williams and uh, all these guys that were just so good I'm really shocked that more of those guys are not so I wonder if those guys are the guys that'll be in the fray as the season goes on I would think more defensively because I thought there was when we were looking at the offensive player of the year, we had a couple of guys who we were up, but when I remember we were getting into the weeds on like it just seemed like there could have been so many guys that were so close statistically, whether they had only played eight games in their output they had put. So like I think there were some defensive players, but hey, the NFL is a beast and there's no guarantee <laughs> as to who those guys are gonna be. Oh my it is, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. But we'll move like on, Pan. Oh, go ahead. Like you mentioned, though, before, Michael, I just want to touch on this. It's great to see some of these NFL coaches 
you know, note the XFL and USFL and how it has kind of helped some development. Any time that you can get an NFL head coach or GM or, you know, anything to say something to the press and that gets out, just helps this league so much more. So the XFL is doing the right thing. Like I mentioned, you know, they're going to sell this NFL dream a little bit. But part of that is, you know, to market their league to football fans and to get it out there. And I see it slowly and slowly building block by block here working. So I'm, I'm hoping that that continues and it turns into, you know, obviously good ratings and good game attendance for, for the XFL as the seasons go on. I will say it's one thing to have Dan Campbell praising the XFL and USFL because he is your blue collar. I'm going to find whoever wants to compete, who's going to be a team player type of guy. All right, it's one thing to have him say it. But it's another thing if Sean Payton, Mike Tomlin, and it's really another thing when Bill Belichick says it. I know there's a lot of haters out there on Bill Belichick, but I'm just saying when you got a guy that's won that many Super Bowls, that probably doesn't need a coach anymore. We know that having Tom Brady was definitely a big thing, but it was having Gronk. There's a lot of guys that are there that clearly it's not the same place anymore. But come on, when you have a Hall of Fame coach, probably one that's going to be the guy in history to go down, come on, that says a lot for you. Especially for a guy that doesn't say a lot in the first place, okay? Let's, let's be fair there. Yeah, that's true, too. I love Bill Belichick press conferences. I think they're great. but. You just named three all-time, you know, great head coaches in the NFL, you know, and and right now, present moment, you know, three out of 32 people that hold that position in the world. So for those three to say it, I think you're right. And as well as Dan Campbell, I mean, he's making a name for himself too. You know, he's building it the way he wants to in Detroit. That's no easy task there either. So it's great to see those names you know, attached to these comments. And and like I said, there's no bigger coattail to ride than the NFL. So I think they're doing the right thing and personnel and coaches are starting to, to starting to see it. And here's the thing, it's when they start designating one scout to start going through everything that, you know, they have a scouting department for, you know, college. They usually have a scouting department for pro you know, are they going to start having a alternative football league scouting department? Maybe they do. I mean, because they, they will turn every stone over that they have to. Um, some organizations uh, will. Not all of them are built the same, but, you know, they will. And and that's great. And you see the XFL doing the same thing. They're turning over every stone they can. So it's good to see. Like you mentioned, the football ecosystem growing and being working together. And that's what we want to see. Well. We'll transition here, and we'll talk about that documentary that just came out. Last Friday, the XFL released its IXFL Three Days at the XFL Combine. I think there's a big takeaway here. I mean, I everyone, I think, has been talking about it, and I'll get your thoughts on anything else after that, but I believe the biggest takeaway was from the segment of the Houston Roughnecks Director of Player Personnel, Mark Lillibridge, providing us with a date for one of the league's drafts. According to him, it will be Wednesday, October 4th. And I know a lot of people will be like, well, we haven't seen the league confirm anything. So let's just put it this way. Seeing the documentary was produced, promoted by, 
and placed on the XFL social media accounts and website. I believe it's safe to say this date must be correct or else it would have not been included in the documentary. It would have been cut. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that before we get your other thoughts or whatever, you know, little nuggets that you found interesting. All right. Yeah, that was a great point in that documentary. And the XFL marketing team is doing a fabulous job. Extraordinary. Okay. This is exactly what they want. They want to make it so that it's in part of their content so that more people come to their content to get information, first of all. Number two, if they just put out a press release, we read the press release and we talk a little bit about it. But no, now we talk about the documentary and how, you know, the Roughnecks player personnel director mentions the date, right? And now we're talking about it for two, three weeks, okay? Otherwise, we talk about it for a week and then it goes away. And then all of a sudden, you know, so think about the train and the real. Think about the marketing that goes into this. I think it's, I think it'll be spot on. They've done this before. Michael, have they not? They kind of leak a little bit of information, right? And then all of a sudden, the press release. Could we all talk about it? They get everybody on Twitter, XFL Newsroom. They get Mark Cast. They get all everybody, right? Inside XFL Insider Podcast. We get all of us talking about it for two, three weeks. And then they put it on, you know, then they make the press release. So great job to their marketing team. Because otherwise, we read this off, we talk a little bit about the draft, and we go on. But now, we're going to be watching every little piece of content they come out for the next tidbit that they're going to be giving us, right? I mean, think about it. That's what we've been asking for, right? Everyone wants more content. We have heard from the XFL that they're going to make sure they bridge weekend to weekend. There'll be content throughout the season, during the week, and we got that. Player 54 chasing the XFL dream. And then, you know, we started getting the XFL Today show that pops up. Now that was on during the weekend, which, okay, that might have been cool if it was maybe a preview or maybe do one Monday, like after the game's up. But whatever. First year, I'm not I'm not here to bash. I'm just saying they're putting together content with their broadcasting partners and whatnot. Here we are in the offseason. We got our little combine. We got to watch, you know, with that show and sales where they're all sitting there just kind of go a little bit different not quite the combine that we see with the national football league but they did something their own way but we got in we're watching things we get to kind of see what players there were before in the lead up to 2023 no one could know who was at the showcase right because we were even told oh we give you a roster you can't talk about it right because they were i get it competing for players but now they're still competing for players but now they don't care all right this is who's here this is who we got right a little bit more in front of camp they're interviewing the people participating okay we're getting more content if you're not tuning into this i don't know why you're not because there is information to be had you just got to find it and two if you're questioning whether mark shared something that's legitimate or not they would not have included it if it wasn't legitimate they would have cut it out they wouldn't have something where like well their guy said it and it's false because that would come back in a negative light they would not let that happen so without an official press release being out there's no other way to look at that this is legitimate because the league hired a team if you watched in the documentary they showed in the lead up before they went live with it what it looks like they know what they're doing they got all these different screens up this is not just winged the marketing team, all these guys are coming together and there's some good stuff, I think, on the horizon. So if they did this 
I'm looking forward to what could come out after some of these drafts. Uh, now, I'm hopeful. There's a guarantee, I think, but I'm hopeful. So, I mean, if you're not tuning in, you need to go back and watch these because it's on their YouTube pages and just start to get more, just feel that desire you want for the league, but then just keep up to date because the, they're providing some information with it. You're getting interviews with coaches and, you know, staff members and, and different stuff. So I, I just think it's good. Like you're going to get a little bit more insight. There are some other things that I had noticed, but I'm going to, I'm going to see what you noticed first before I, I dive into, you know, what some of those other nuggets are, because this is now not as clear, I think as precise to say in my opinion, but here's your show, your soapbox. Tell me what, what you noticed. Well, first of all, the, the timing of this is really well, right? Because we're all watching hard knocks. We're all watching. Okay. Maybe not all of us, but we're, you know, that's the type of content that's on right now. Right. So to do a documentary and an inside look at, at the XFL combine, that was great because if people want to get the football juices flowing, right? This was released right before college football started. You know, I mean, the timing of this was really well too. Okay. The production value was extraordinary. Like you mentioned, they had interviews with participants. They had interviews with coaches. They had interviews with player personnel directors. They had Danny sitting down with some coaches talking to them. So it was really cool to see. It was really nice. Now, here are my takeaways from it. I'm a former strength and conditioning coach as well. So when I was coaching Division Three, one of my responsibilities was to run the strength and conditioning for the football program, both in-season and off-season. I was CSCS certified, if you know what that is, a certified strength and conditioning specialist. I'm no longer that anymore, but I was. Okay, I let my uh, certification, you know, you need continuing education credits, and and I did not regret getting out of football. But this was awesome. So watching those guys set up these tests and the way they tested them, I'm dying because I was like, this is amazing. First of all, the grip test is awesome. It's cool to watch people do it and stuff like that. And it's awesome that they have a machine. My biggest thing was everything was about explosiveness. Nothing's about pure strength anymore. Everything's about how explosive you can be. And the three rep bench press where they want you to move the bar as fast as you can and it calculates an approximate one rep max. I would have died for that. I would have loved that. You know how hard it is to get kids to warm up the right way so that they can do a one rep and then do a one rep and then, oh, well, that was a little easy. So now I got to do another one. Well, yeah, now you can't get that up. You know, you can't lift that because you're worn out from lifting such heavy weight previously. So to have that is amazing. So that was fun to watch for me. You know, the explosive jumping test too, as well. And, and then also the catapult. I mean, this stuff is just, I know colleges have been using this stuff for practices and I'm sure NFL teams have been using that stuff for practices. I always wanted it because you're managing legs, right? And I feel you know, Chip Kelly in his Oregon days kind of was the one that I felt outside looking in kind of started to view that stuff a little bit more on how much, you know, effort everybody was putting in. So that was something I loved. I ate that up and that got me hooked right away. So 
what else got me hooked was they sat down with the player personnel directors, right? At least a few of them. We got to see some faces, right? Now, if you're an XFL diehard like us, we can recognize them. We're, we're following them on Twitter. We see them. we following them everywhere we can. But not everybody knows them. And it was great to have them talk a little bit about their philosophy a little bit and kind of how hard it is sometimes like you're, you're drafting somebody and you're, you're evaluating somebody. And you're just hoping he's going to be there and you're hoping he's going to, you know, show up. Right. Um, so that was fun to watch too. And so I really, really enjoyed that part. I thought Danny said it best, like, Hey, we're, we want to be the world's greatest spring football league. I don't know if those were the exact words, but you know, we got through season one. All right. Where it's time to step to start building it into something really, really special. And I think that's the mentality and the leadership and vision that you need, right? To have that. One thing I was happy not to see and and not to, to overblow it, but I was glad content without Dwayne Johnson is good for this. I think we've kind of burned that out a little. Can retweet some stuff or repost nowadays <laughs> whatever it is on x now or instead of twitter but yeah i thought that was great um i thought it was great that they do interviews with the players and the teams you could do you could interview players and talk to them about you know those intangibles and try and figure some things out you hear about the the weird stories that nfl players get asked at the combine sometimes you mentioned you know along with mark lillybridge mentioning the October 4th draft date. He also mentions that players who question this league, maybe they wanted to bring them into the league, are now going to kind of see it a little bit in a different light. And people coming through the football ecosystem will see it differently. And you're going to see different players than try and make it this year avenue. And I know we talked about players making it to the NFL, you know, now and practice squads and maybe active rosters. That's why you may see that build a little bit more as it builds through the years. So I thought that was a very interesting comment as well, because he's right. All of a sudden you start having success in people who questioned whether or not your, your validity, right. Based on other, spring football performance is, you know, will now jump aboard and, and get involved. So that that's great to see too. And I think people are going to ba- bounce back and forth from the NFL. You go to the XFL, play their games, season, practice squad, training camp, make some money in the NFL, maybe make an active roster here and there. Somebody will stick eventually and, and have a very big impact on the franchise in the NFL, hopefully. And, but I think you're going to see a lot of guys bounce back and forth. So we may see the same, some of the same names, right, that we saw last year, which would be great because that builds a fan base. It was great to see him interview a couple of participants in the combine and where they're at. And then the other thing, too, that I mentioned, it did give you the numbers, right? It said out of 200 athletes, 28 were selected by NFL teams. Okay, so that comes out to 14%. And what do they say? Only so many people make it to a league and make it to professional football. So, I mean, some of them may, more may get signed, 
right? Or may get drafted. Maybe they were in the draft pool instead of being able to get signed. So I don't know how many were eligible for which pocket the uh, personnel, the XFL puts them in and how they put them in that. I'd, I'd really like to know how they designate who can be signed and who has to be drafted. I, I think that'd be interesting to see. Just to and then we'll, jump on ahead. that for a second. I don't have the math in front of me. I've heard it, right? And I haven't crunched the numbers myself. But supposedly, when you look at Division One football alone, forget about Division Two, Division Three, NAIA, okay, whatever. There's hundreds, almost it just it's like I don't know, hundred or two hundred shy of a thousand colleges across the country that have football. It's less than one percent that get drafted into the National Football League each year, and every draft pick doesn't even make the team. So, right. I mean, I know now there are undrafted players also getting signed, but if you just kind of take that wash for the guys that do get drafted, still don't make the team. And the few guys that don't get drafted do get signed and do make the team, however that works out. But if the XFL can find supposedly that same caliber of player, because that's right there, right where they're at, right? Those fringe NFL players. But if they can have a much higher percent, just tells me I'm, I'm, I know it's not apples to apples here. I know it's not. So I, I have to be fair, but I'm just saying like, but I think these are the type of numbers we got to be looking at because we don't even have all Americans making national football league teams out of college. Right. And that's supposed to be the best of the best. Don't make it. So, I mean, when you look here, if the XFL has a percentage making, whether it's active roster or practice squad, because that's what matters is trying to make it. Yeah. But bouncing back and forth just tells me it's like a triple a baseball situation. You're down, but not out. You you could come back up. Yeah. I think the 14% that I mentioned here is, it's going to be on average of they'll probably be less than 1% that makes an XFL roster, right? Out of that, you know, 14%, maybe. So it'll be interesting to see how those numbers work out. But I thought that was interesting. I thought I thought that was great that they gave those numbers. We had correct me if I'm wrong, Michael. We're some of these were from the showcases, right? As well. So these players were invited from the showcase to the combine to get a closer look. But I don't think all of them were, because I think they would invite certain players that they knew of already that they're interested in to a combine. As well. What is true because I know there are, I, I try not to always drop certain names, but uh, Aaron Nelson was drafted in the lead up to 2023 by the Houston Roughnecks. Eventually got released off Roughnecks roster for the 2023 season, did not latch on with another team. However, he was brought back for the combine. And then he got selected, his rights were selected, I believe, by the, the Battle Hawks. Guys are coming in that didn't necessarily sign up for a showcase and competed at a showcase. But then we do know guys that did come into showcases. We were seeing like six to eight players were being invited right on the spot, got pulled aside. Like, Hey, no, just let you know you're invited to the combine. So like those top performers already knew they were going in. I don't know how many other guys were getting, but when you watch that documentary or those days at that combine, it wasn't as large of a number as what you see at these showcases it was very narrowed down because they pretty much knew who they wanted. And that doesn't mean these other guys are out. just means like the combine was for a deeper dive in front of everybody, head coaches, 
director of player personnel, whether it be some positional coaches and stuff there. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting. So what you're trying to do is, is with the combine two and these showcases, right? Is you're trying to collect data as well on these guys, not necessarily, you know, and that's what it's about, really. The combine, it's it's a little bit of showmanship, right? I mean, in the NFL, it is too. But you're just trying to see if the data and what they bring in with that, right? Like their acceleration, their you know estimated max, and their explosiveness. You're trying to see if that aligns with what a successful player would have. And sometimes it doesn't, <laughs> you know, I mean, there are always outliers and I know I'm overusing that term <laughs> here, but when you're talking about data, there's always going to be that. So I think it's trying to get more data on the players as much as you can. So it'll be interesting though, you know, and I know I'm probably jumping ahead here with the, with the two more showcases that they added on on where they put those, you know, anybody who went to a showcase, they're not out, right? They're still in. I think some of the showcases are about marketing as well. And that's why there's one in, or, you know, in Orlando. And uh, they want to really start to build that fan base up a little bit. But yeah, I mean, you're just trying to confirm, hey, does this guy have what it is in those perimeters of what a good football player does? And there's so much data out there on it that these guys know what they're looking at. So, so there's one thing without diving into each thing you mentioned, because I, I agree, those are all interesting nuggets. They're probably way more, but there's one nugget or thing I saw keep popping up here. And people can go back and dive into it themselves. It's funny because when the combine actually happened, they did those live streamings from, you know, the, the offensive session, the one day in the defense session. I noticed it then, but then. It's just as front and center because they sit down with certain people. Dr. Blevins, the new Vegas Vipers head coach, and some of those wasn't wearing any Vegas apparel at all. At all. He was wearing a generic XFL shirt at the combine when all of the other coaches were wearing their team's apparel. Now, this isn't a speculation. Because we know that this past week, some things went out where Cashman is out, folks. They have notified the season ticket holders, the deposit holders. They have notified Cashman Field, the league employees. Everyone is aware that they are not returning to Cashman in 2024. So we know there's reports out there as to what other cities are in the mix here, supposedly for relocation. But when you don't wear your team's apparel and the league has to give you that piece of apparel, They found that out of a box someplace, no different than where they have polos for all the other coaches. I think that's very telling right there, whether the league wants to admit that they're out of Vegas or not. They're just saying Cashman's out, and they're looking at all other options. I think that's very telling because why would you just give them an XFL shirt when you could have just given them a T-shirt, a polo, a you know, one one episode he had the XFL black shirt on, I believe it was, with a, a Vegas Viper hat on. But the other ones, it was the white XFL shirt, no Vegas Viper hat or anything. So I'm like, yeah, maybe I'm reading a little too much into it, but I think it's pretty safe to say they were planting the seed, whether we wanted to realize it or not, back at the, the Combine during the live streams of it and even during this documentary that we should be prepared. They're not coming back to Vegas. 
And maybe that's the case. I mean, they definitely uh, were doing that. There could have been other circumstances that we don't know about. You know, maybe he was flown in. And obviously, you're going to Arlington, but everything's headquartered there. You would think that, well, you know, apparel's just shipped out from the manufacturer. So who knows, right? I'm going to tell you what, Michael, that was something I did not notice. So it's always great to have more eyes look at things. So when we're when you're evaluating players at a combine, you all or you know everybody to look at it. It's interesting though because number one, you know, Doctor Blevis getting an opportunity is what this league's about. Okay, hundred oh, percent. Um, I thought for surely they were going to go with somebody with experience just because of the results. But I think if you can get another. Anthony Becht in there, right? You're you're doing well. I'm, I'm the Heinz Ward's learned a lot, you know. So I mean, I think you're going to see you know a little bit turnover, a little bit more parity in the league. Maybe not saying there wasn't, there was, but and you know I think he's a good and I, they did their due diligence and really had a good list going. So and I read a nice little article about how and it wasn't even really on its radar. But what an opportunity for him, and and congratulations to him. When it comes to the Vegas situation, right, this has been the XFL, right? You don't want to announce anything. You're going to announce Cashman's out. You're going to tell your season ticket holders because of the fact that season tickets were on sale, right? You don't want people buying season tickets. But all they're saying is Cashman's out. So there's a possibility that they do stay in Vegas. I think there's a lot of speculation that they want to look elsewhere, but of course you're going to look elsewhere because you're trying to negotiate leases, right? With or rentals. Favorable leases. <laughs> What's that? I was going to say what favorable, favorable <laughs> le- leases. Something that's more right. beneficial for yourself than so, the venue. Absolutely. So and, and my take on that is I would love to see them in Portland. Or, you know, obviously, we, you know, nobody's mentioned San Diego. Everybody says it's out, but don't think it's out, you know, and maybe L.A. Maybe they feel they can go back to the stadium they were in. I think they're going to look for that D.C. defender type atmosphere and not go towards a Allegiant Stadium type atmosphere, right, where, you know, you might have 15, 20,000 at best, right, in a you know, seven sixty-five, seventy thousand seat stadium. So I think it's great. I think this is when you know you're doing a good job, right? As a leader, I've always said that you gotta know when you've made when you felt like you made a bad decision, cut your losses and move on. And that's what they're doing here. They know they made a mistake with Cashman. I don't think they really wanted that venue anyways, right? They just kind of were forced into it because they Mentioned Vegas and and then you know went with that, but they're they're cutting their losses right because Cashman's not a good place to hold a professional football game. And we did our due diligence on noting that during the <laughs> during the season, right? So I'm happy that they're doing that, right? They're cutting their losses a little bit, understanding that that was a mistake. Let's move on. Let's see. I would like them to still see the West Coast and have a team out there, you know, somewhat West Coast, I guess, mountain, West Coast type area. But they got some options, and and that's going to be great. I think a lot of cities would love to bring them in, and I really just want to see them go to 
a non-NFL city, right? That's hungry for that. And put, I'd rather see 15,000 people in a smaller stadium, you know, rocking that place out than, you know, 15,000 in a big stadium, a big NFL stadium, not really, you know, having a small impact um, on it. So uh, it's going to be fun to see and it gives us more to talk about, right? Gives everybody more speculation to do and, and everybody's done a really good job with that. So, Michael, I'm going to ask you, you know, other than like Portland, Nashville, and Arizona, have you heard of any other places that maybe they might might be leaning towards? Well, I want to apologize because I did not mean to go down the Cashman and Vegas Vipers rabbit hole, uh, or else I would have dated that up front. So that my apologies there to you, Mark. Um, <laughs> yes. I have heard, right? And, you know, th- there's been, I think anybody that's been within XFL media circles, right? Whether you're bigger media, smaller media, have heard since the championship that this has been a possibility, right? A, lo- a very likely possibility. And there have been some things, you know, obviously Mike Mitchell has got his contacts and he's he's as connected as anybody can be so people by no means am i trying to say i know something that he doesn't but i have heard of some other markets and i and i gotta be careful because when people say things i guess it's very easy to find out how it gets pinpointed back to the person that says it so i keep mine a little bit more vague okay and it's i was hearing northern central time zone Okay, what is northern? I don't know where you draw that line. What's north and south? I mean, I guess anybody could determine. I was hearing northern central time zone. I was hearing west coast. So those were what I was hearing. Now, can that be anything that you mentioned, right? Can that be San Diego? Can it be L.A.? Can it be what James Larson's reporting with Portland? Yeah, I'm going to leave mine vague, but I've heard west coast, not midwestern or anything like that, west coast in north central time zone so you can take a look at a map people and you can start to do whatever you want with the cities that but what's interesting is that they don't match up with what mike's heard it doesn't mean mike's wrong mike is as connected as anybody but i mean like where's nashville falls nashville eastern time zone are they central i mean they're gonna be central time zone okay but to me when i look at the map is that northern enough so i mean i guess people you'd have to look at that I mean, if you look at West Coast, with you know, you mentioned L.A. Well, obviously that's West Coast. Obviously, San Diego's West Coast. Portland's right on the West Coast. So, I mean, hey, I'll let anybody run what they want. But that's what I had heard, and I won't get into direct markets because, God forbid, the person that shared something with me is the only one, right? And who knows who's close to what, and they find out. I'm not going to ruin my my. My contact that had shared. Well, yeah, absolutely. All, all it, I'm going to say is, if anyone wants to question this contact, and I'm not saying that every source is right, this contact shared with me the championship game for 2023, and that turned out to be correct. So I'm going to say I have no reason to say this isn't right, but I, they also don't match Mike, and Mike's pretty spot on with a lot of stuff, people. So, I mean, here we go. I don't know would love to see a portland seattle rivalry i mean that'd be great you know the, the <laughs> thing about the thing about that it would be great but it also just 
geographically for those two, oh, they, they would travel back and forth. They, they would support each other on the road pretty well. But I mean, I guess if you're trying to look for a footprint, it probably doesn't because you already feel like you got that n- northwestern area solidified. If you're looking L.A., San Diego, that gets you down in the southern western part. Okay, I, all right. I mean, if you're going to let's look at Tempe, where Mike says. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, I guess it's not all that different. Yeah, you're shifting a little bit further south from Vegas, where you're at. Okay. If you're going to Nashville, all right. You're kind of, I mean, we don't have teams in markets like practicing and traveling from. They're all traveling from the hub anyway. So I guess it doesn't matter if Seattle's all the way out there all by themselves if you do that. Again, I mean, I'm trying to look at because eventually they're not all going to be in a hub. Eventually, you know, down the line, if this league is successful, it's not going to be the case. So, that could make traveling more difficult versus out of where everyone's traveling out of Arlington, Texas. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm looking bigger picture. Does it make sense? But for the time being, you got to just be able to play and you got to be able to have a venue secured and you got to be able to have fans that are going to support it or else you're looking to move it again. And that's just a bad look for a league. So I just hope that they find whatever it is, wherever it is that they got a, a favorable lease they got a market that will likely support it, that it's not oversaturated, because that's the mm-hmm. other issue we run into with some of these markets. Yep. And uh, that's what it's going to take, because TV is part of it, but we need to have people in the seats, people that are going to be uh, buying the tickets and attending the games and creating the atmosphere so that when you get the one-off person coming, they want to come back and don't think it's terrible, too. got to have people want to buy the apparel that spend more money. That's they got to invest into the team, so they gotta they got to buy in one way or another. You can't just have... You know, maybe Portland would be the answer because that would be a crazy rivalry because any sport that I see, whether it's their soccer teams up there or whatever, they're pretty, pretty well supported and they travel very well. So that would benefit by keeping butts in the seats, but that's only for two games a year. I mean, are you going to make that move to, I don't know, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, uh, who knows? Only they, they know looking at and you know like you said though you got to make a really solid decision on this one right so take your time make sure it's the right one they'll make the quick one the fast one this time you got to make sure it's right so but it i think it's kind of exciting if they wound up staying in vegas i wouldn't be surprised either i mean we their statement is cashman's just out okay so Mark- i read into it but it's if they cool. stayed there, it'd be fine. You know, I mean, I think that's a, I think that's a decent market for them. But I just don't think there's a great venue for them. Well, that's the problem right now. I know I'm not going to get into whoever else is there. The Dollar Loan Center out in Henderson came up. People, it's an arena. It seats 5,500 people. Even if, you know, if you ever take and you can Google it just for the heck of it, and there's images that'll put boxing rink on top of a tennis court, on top of a basketball court, on top of a hockey rink on top of a football field. Okay. You can just see the visual, forget about measuring because people with measurements might not get it. You just lay them on top of one another. You'll know that an arena cannot put an outdoor football field. It's 120 yards long without extra space for the fringes. Okay. It can't fit in an arena. You, even if you remove every seat, which you need seats to have people watch, you still can't fit it in the arena. It won't work. So Henderson as far as Dollar Loan Center, is out. I know people have been throwing out like the Caesars outdoor venue that they have MMA and boxing and stuff. You can't put, even if they don't put any other seats, it's an empty area with like a stand down on the one end. 
even if you put a field there, it won't fit. It won't fit. So if Cashman's out, we already know the owner of the AAA team there at the Vegas ballpark, the newer one, when they left Cashman Field for Vegas ballpark, says the walls are too short. You can't fit a football field. That puts Vegas ballparks out, right? We know there's an issue out at Sam Boyd by the UNLV signing the agreement that they did. It legally makes it a wasteland. It doesn't matter if those stands are standing there or not. It is illegal to play anything, hold an event in there. It's as if it doesn't exist. They might as well just implode it because whether it's there or not, by agreement, it can't be used. So that means that stadium does not exist. So what does that leave? You're going to play at the, the racetrack uh, on the infield grass? No. So what does it leave? It leaves Allegiant. And we know over and over again, they have tried to get into Allegiant, whether it's Mark Davis, whatever. He's got some astronomical price, which is just not financially feasible because he really doesn't want him there. And even if you get in there, now you're going to have what? If you're lucky, get 20,000 fans. If you can now all of a sudden draw after only draw, averaging 6,000, you think you're going to now put in some mammoth stadium? Come on, we have to be realistic here. So the only option they really have, it's Allegiant or bust for them to stay. I mean, anyone else is welcome to do any research because the other options they were discussing before they signed with Cashman was Bishop Gorman High School. Yeah, that's not going to be. Smaller than Cashman. Yeah, that would have looked – I've seen high school games on TV, probably ESPN, with them years ago, and it looked like a high school game. So that's not going to work either when it comes to that. Well, you can't sell alcohol. How vital is this to sports, professional sports, and the people that attend it? They want their concessions, and important part of the uh, concessions is alcohol sales. If you're at a high school, you're not selling alcohol. And I don't know what Nevada law, let alone the county in the, in the area or whatever, what it would take to get around that. It's either impossible or damn near impossible to pull it off. Right. Absolutely. So tell me this. I mean, you know, a month or so, a couple of months ago, the whole cats renewed trademark, right? I mean, does that play into this? I mean, there's two, there's two MLS stadiums in L.A., I mean, they could potentially play in either one of those. So to me, there may, you know, some things if you want to, you know, try and connect dots, right? Those would be some dots to try and connect. But again, I think when they look at the atmosphere that they want at these games, you're not going to get St. Louis all the time. It's San Antonio, where the domes can fit, you know, where they're going to have twenty to 30,000 people in a dome, 40,000 when it comes to the Battle Hawks, right? They're looking at DC and I feel like they want to, they want to, they want to kind of replicate that atmosphere a little bit. And when you look at West Coast, right, you start to look at those stadiums. Now, I'm not saying the Emma, it all depends on who owns those stadiums, right? If the MLS owns that stadium, it's probably might be out, but I don't know. Like, you, you know, like, Maybe they negotiate because they have other events at these stadiums, right? So that's part of building a stadium is you want other events. You want more income. So why not share it with a with a spring football league? You know, uh, it, it seemed to work at Audi. They, they can say, hey, we did it at Audi Field. You know, I mean, they, they can tell them what it's going to bring in. They've got the data on what a spring football team will bring to your stadium. 
So I don't know. I, I'm speculating here. I'm throwing things out. I'm just trying to, you know, have some fun with it. But when I look at things, and then you got the LA TV crowd, like, right? You want this markets, whether it's New York or LA, you got to get one of them in, in your households, right? So I don't know. I'm throwing that out there too. So maybe that's the case. So you mentioned connect the dot. You're using the connect the dot to the Wildcats. So that would be a potential to move to LA. Well, what have we seen already happen here with the lead up to 2023 is that brands don't necessarily stick with cities. Okay, the Vipers move from Tampa to Vegas. The Guardians move from New York, New Jersey, whatever you want to call them, to Orlando. Okay, so I don't think that's the connect the dot. But if you want to connect the dots, I think there are two interesting segues of connecting the dots to really consider and open your mind up to. Doesn't mean this is what happened. Back to back years, there were showcases in Arizona, and now magically. Back-to-back years, they found a way to have showcases in San Diego. I would love San Diego. I think everybody's rooting for them. And I think part of the reason their name doesn't come up is because they don't want to show their cards, right? So we're all going to say it because we want it, right? We, I think we feel as XFL fans, and I'm sorry if I'm speaking out of turn here for everybody, we feel that San Diego would be hungry for a football team and would support it. And would they have a nice new little stadium? And we feel that that would be a home run. So, yeah, I mean, the you can connect the dots to that too. I would jump up and down if they went to San Diego. Okay. I will be a San Diego fan if, if they go to San Diego. I will find a reason to go out to games there then. Only because we saw what they were able to do with another alternative football team, right? And with the fleet and support them. So I think it would be great. I hope those are some dots too that are connected. Uh, but Arizona is too, as well, like you said. But I think we're all rooting for San Diego and we don't want to say it because it might be a long shot. I can't help but sit here and think. They struggled so hard to secure a venue in the lead up, right? They were really in in the 11th hour of securing a venue in Vegas for the 2023 season. They had to hurry up, get something. They had to get, they can get the schedule out and sell tickets and, and whatever, coordinate their own schedules for the logistics of moving teams around. All that stuff has to be planned. It takes, they had to get it done. I can't imagine that's going to be the case here for the 2024 season. So, what does this tell me? When that email went out, James Larson shared the one email that went out to the season ticket holders and deposit holders. And then Mike Mitchell shared that email that went out to supposedly employees and, and went out explaining that they have notified Cashman Field. They are not coming back. I cannot imagine they notified Cashman Field without already having the venue secured. Wherever that is, for whatever reason, they haven't shared it, right? This is this is not me knowing. And, you know, this, again, everyone wants to speculate. I just can't imagine they would have put themselves in the same exact situation here now that is officially, the, you know, the fall, September, when all this came out. Here we are. It's the fall. You got a few months before you're supposed to be reporting for training camp. I can't imagine you put yourself right back in the same exact situation. And if they did... That's really shocking. 
because it just seems like deja vu. A hundred percent agree. I think there's at least a handshake deal done before they send that out. They can't announce it. They can't ink it because of certain things, right? Maybe they got to wait so many days. There's probably some legal jargon on in some of these agreements, right? But DNA, I, I get that non-disclosure. I, right. I, I don't doubt that. But I'm just saying, right. if they but, did it, uh, that's really shocking and concerning. That's all I'm going to say. Right. And you're dealing with Redbird Capital. They're not going to be reckless on this one. You know what I mean? I, I think there's just too much, to, you know, in this one for them. So I think there's, I think you're right. I think it has at least been what I call a handshake deal, right? Where maybe you sign some papers, but it's all contingent on some things and some things all got to wait or you're shaking hands and everybody's agreed on it, but we're waiting for some legal jargon to take its toll. And then we're going to get what it is, but yeah, you would hope that. And this leadership has shown that they're growing and they're evolving and, and they don't want to make a second mistake, but that stadium in San Diego, that'd be perfect size. I think, I mean, it, right. I mean, it's not too big. It's not too small. It's not a soccer stadium, right? It can play soccer probably in there that maybe they do. I think they play rugby in there, but I'm looking at pictures on it online right now. And I was like, I know I've seen it before, but you know, you kind of jar your memory here. That'd be a great venue for. Them. So, but we'll see. I mean, I think it's fun. And I know we've gone off on this topic, but you know, this is the fun part of the off season. And anytime you think you're going to get a short episode with me on it, you know, Michael, I mean, you know, I know how to talk. So we. <laughs> found a way. I'm not saying the fans were plugging or pushing for it, but they found a way one way or another to get more out of you and me than was planned for today. So on this note, we'll wrap it up. Mark. It has been good to have you back and review the XFL 2023 players who have found a home on the National Football League rosters, as well as just discuss the XFL's release of the IXFL three days at the XFL Combine documentary. And heck, we even went down the rabbit hole with what's going on with Vegas a little bit. So, I mean, it is really always a pleasure to talk with you. And I appreciate your contribution to the show, even if it turns into almost a two-hour recording. I do appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you, Michael. I always appreciate it. I, I always have fun talking about this. And I know uh, this is what I like to talk about, though. I know we talked a lot about the games and stuff like that in the season, but the offseason is just as fun to talk about and to kind of speculate and try and make help them make decisions, right? That's what we're trying to do here, help you out, XFL. But no, it's been fun. And, uh, you know, we'll be back soon. So, uh, you know, thanks again for having me. And uh, yeah, I mean, we just, we could talk about this stuff forever. So. Well, before you run, because I know it's time to go, why don't you just go ahead and share with everyone or remind them where they could find you on social media and whatnot. I believe you branched out a little bit, so why don't you let them know where they could find you. So I think they're both the same. So it's, uh, you know, the platform formerly known as Twitter is Mark underscore, M-A-R-K underscore Allbach, H-A-L-B-A-C-H. And um, I do go on threads every once in a while. Uh, Same thing, uh, Mark, M-A-R-K underscore H-A-L-B-A-C-H, Hallbach. So I try and keep up with all this stuff, you know, and uh, it's been fun. And I, you know, the guys that are really doing the work behind, you know, the Mike Mitchells, the, I've never met Mike, I've never spoke with them, but uh, James Larson, just to note a couple, if I'm missing anybody, I apologize, but 
you know, keep it up, man. We, you know, this is where we get our um, talking points sometimes from, right? And uh, you guys are doing a great job out there. Keep it up. And I hope that uh, we can uh, continue to, to talk about this stuff and, and they continue to cover it as well as they're doing. Yeah, it's really an amazing I know there's a like a, I say a handful of individuals that are must follows and you just got you you have to follow them. They're so good at what they do and they're very well connected and they're just intelligent people. So I mean like you you have to follow those guys. But you know, thank you Mark again. I'm going to let you go so you can get back to your family. Until next time. Take care, Michael. It is great to have Mark back. I enjoy discussing XFL matters with him and I value his insight. Although Mark will not be returning to contributing weekly, we are hopeful to coordinate more discussions in the foreseeable future. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have an XFL-related comment, question, or hot take and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform or choice. One last thing. If you are interested in checking out our friends over at True Victory, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, PLAYER54, for 15% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.